Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the 4K 5.0 or the budget-friendly solo, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. This year we're also working with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is machine learning for the deer woods. Basically, Spartan Forge takes collar deer studies, insurance car deer accident information, social media geolocations, and it couples that with weather, moon phase, and rut activity to tell you when or when not to be in the woods. This currently has an online interface at SpartanForge.ai, but the app is currently being built and set to launch late summer. Once the app goes live, you can expect there to be a price increase. But if you use code BOWHUNTER, you can save 25%, and that will stick with you as long as you use the Spartan Forge services. So head on over to SpartanForge.ai and get your free 14-day trial. All right, guys, so we've got a great podcast for you today. Mark Levesay from Treeline Pursuits. Uh, talking all of the common misconceptions for elk hunters. So if you're not familiar with Mark, Mark runs Treeline Pursuits, but I think he's most known for um, his e-scouting. So he is just next-level e-scouting. He's created a course, um, much like Jason Samkowiak's whitetail hunting course. Uh, he's got an e-scouting course. Um, just Google him. Check them out, Treeline Pursuits on YouTube, and you'll see um, kind of the level that he's at with that. But, you know, he's been elk hunting for 30 years, uh, very successful, uh, does webinars. Um, he does all sorts of speaking engagements, all sorts of things like that. And this guy knows where to find elk, and maybe more importantly, how to get away from people. Um, so we're talking about the intersection here of 
finding where the elk go when people pressure them and then finding where the people don't want to go um, and finding those places where those intersect. Um, that's what he's all about. Now, Mark runs llamas. Uh, he rents llamas. He does some guiding, some fly fishing guiding, um, all sorts of different things. But um, he is a Missouri guy here to help us out. And uh, it's just a really great conversation. So I know you guys are going to like that. I know um, a lot of guys are, you know, have always thought about going elk hunting or going elk hunting for the first time or trying to shoot their first elk uh, coming from the east. And uh, this podcast is exactly for that. But we got to do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, shout out to our new Patreons. We got Mike Nutto out in New Jersey, Joey Healy in Ohio, and then Marcus McElroy down in Louisiana. So if you're not familiar with Patreon, uh, it's your first time checking out the podcast. Patreon is basically just a crowdfunding for creators that allows the loyal follower of the show to help out with operating costs. Uh, again, I'm using that new editing program uh, to edit this episode, and I think it turned out great. But let us know what you think. We are building a new studio to f- provide more consistent video content and an improved recording environment. Um, and all that's done from donations from listeners like you and for as little as 17 cents a day you'd literally walk past that in the parking lot of the hunting area as you were going out there but it really does help us out and through our partners sponsors whatever you want to call them we do great giveaways uh through quarterly giveaways uh, tacticam this time is giving away a tacticam fish eye package this month that those Tacticam fish eyes, like I said, I really believe that that is going to be the solo killer. I think if you had one of the Tacticam 4K 5.0s, a remote, and one of the wide-angle fish eyes, um, you know, that's like the perfect beginner one-button, you know, just record your hunt. Now, you're not going to be Heartland bow hunter with that by any means, um, but I think you can put together a pretty good video for youtube to show your friends or or whatever and we've got a bunch of those that's what we're going to be running this year um probably frank and ernie are going to be running that exclusively where john and i will be carrying the cameras um but we are also giving away one of the hunting beast tree stands so i was in the second group to order um i didn't didn't get the the first one those are already shipping they were putting them together over memorial day so i'm literally just waiting for that uh can't wait to get that in our hands we're going to check it out talk about it a little bit and then send it off to the winner we'll be drawing that winner um you know probably after the fourth of july um so you've still got some time to sign up um base map so base map just got a hold of me we're going to be having them on the podcast here very soon we talk a little bit about uh base map and e-scouting and all sorts of stuff on this podcast uh base map has some incredible new features like one of the coolest things right now they have an overlay that tells you the distance it basically puts out like a, a ruler on your screen um and so as you zoom out, it just goes further and further. So where I see that being beneficial is in the dark where you know that you've got a waypoint up there. You've got a tree that you marked and you're going in there and you're trying to find it. And you can pop that up and it says, all right, it's 60 yards in front of you instead of just using an arbitrary scale. So I think that's going to be super, super helpful. But Basemap gives away a swag pack 
they give away one of their pro memberships. And that membership, I mean, it's $30 a month. You can use code CHRONICLES, and you'll save 20% off of that. So that's $24 for the entire year, $2 per month. And uh, I think that's probably the best value, you know, as we're talking about e-scouting. You know, Mark is really big on Google Earth, but you got to have something for when you're out there in the field. And we talk about all of that here on the podcast. But we do that for uh, base map. Spartan Forge, we heard them in the intro. Um, they give away one-year subscription. That app is right on the cusp of, of being released. Um, so that's coming up. Zinger Fletchings, I'm going to be shooting Zinger Fletchings at the Total Archery Challenge to give them a full rundown um, and, and testing. I mean, right now, backyard distances, uh, normal circumstances, they shoot just fine with my normal arrows, but Total Archery Challenge is really where we're going to be testing those out. Uh, but the guys from Zinger Fletchings are giving away some of those. And then we finally got the link live for the Vitals Live. So all of our Patreons get free access to live webinars t- with many of the guests that we've had on here. Uh, Dan Infall, Garrett Prawl, John Eberhart, Zach Farrenbaugh. I mean... The list goes on, but guys that are talking about um, information for public land, for getting better. Andy May was just on there, Greg Litzinger. Um, but by signing up for that, you also get access to the historical uh, recorded versions, which there's plenty of information in the recorded versions, um, but being there live and being able to ask the question. So as you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, man, I would like to ask this question to Mark or, or, you know, any of the other podcasts that you listen to, man, say, I wish I could do that. Um, that's what the vitals live is. It's live. You get a chance to ask these questions to these experts. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can check that out on patreon.com forward slash bowhunter chronicles. Or uh, just go to Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, go to Bowhunter Chronicles on Instagram, you can sign up. That helps us out tremendously. But while you're there, while you're on our website, while you're on Instagram, we're giving away a 2021 Bowtech Carbon Zion. Uh, brand new bow, same bow that I'm shooting, and man, the thing, I'm, I'm super happy with it. Uh, I've been shooting the carbon bows from Bowtech for the last five years, and uh, I mean, this one is no exception. It's just great. Comes with an HHA Tetra single pin as well as an HHA rest. I mean, we're talking a thousand dollar setup. We're going to be giving that away. So you've got like maybe a week to sign up for that. We're going to give this one away before the next podcast drops. So what you need to do is go to bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com, click the link, sign up to win that. Or like I say, you can just go to our Instagram, sign up for Patreon. Patreons get additional entries to win this. I mean, if you sign up for Patreon, you're in with multiple entries. But this is for anyone. So uh, you don't have to be a Patreon to win. We're giving this up. You just got to be signed up by June 10th. Um, And we're actually going to extend that. We're going to be at the Total Archery Challenge. So if you sign up by next Monday, um, you'll be be good. Um, We're glad to be back after the holiday weekend. Thanks for sticking with us. And... Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast after the holiday one-week hiatus. 
and it kind of feels like it's been like a month. Uh, it does. Just because <laughs> we're, we're just so used to doing this on such a rapid fire pace. But uh, we're going to talk some uh, elk hunting. We're going to talk, I guess we can call it like high level elk hunting for beginners with uh, Mark Livesey, uh, Tree Line Pursuits. You may have seen him. Um, he's got a course out now. And uh, one of his podcasts with Cody Rich was like the, the most eye-opening thing when we were going to Idaho the first time. And I'm really happy to have you on tonight, Mark. How are you doing? You're doing great, man. Really great. It's good to be on. It's kind of looking forward to this one. I, I really love the Midwestern um, – whole elk hunting pursuit you know we talked about a little bit before we got started and i grew up in missouri and so all my years of elk hunting in the beginning days i just was on i-70 you know driving west and um it was weird i I didn't mention this earlier but i i moved to montana but i never have hunted montana and everybody's like dude in 30 years of elk hunting you never hunted i said here's a problem back when i started guys you could actually draw a new mexico tag like I've had four times and now the last time I drew New Mexico tag, I drew one last year. And prior to that it was 21 years ago. And, uh, so nowadays that's just not, a, not a thing, but I would hunt New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming. I always had this thing where I had trouble driving through a state that had elk to get to another state that had elk. Right. So I just, that's kind of, was my limiter. So, Glad to be on, um, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. So what is, you know, you said you've been hunting elk for 30 years, and there's been a lot of changes. Um, what is your hunting background? How did, I mean, being a Midwest guy, did you start hunting whitetail, and then you got so good at that, you said, I need to go hunt bigger game, or how, how did the progression work for you? Well, I don't know about getting how being all that great at whitetail hunting. Now, I was a pretty serious whitetail hunter, and I love whitetail hunting. And I started hunting when I was about nine. I killed my first whitetail with a bow when I was ten, and uh, I had to put like four or five arrows in. But um, but I did get it done with a thirty-five pound recurve, and um, and I was climbed up in a tree stand made out of two before's, the typical Missouri tree stand, and. Um, so, yeah, I chased whitetails all those years, and then I graduated college, and I moved, went to work for a transplant company, like a human tissue transplant company, and my boss was a huge whitetail hunter, a little older than me, and we hunted together whitetails a lot, and one day we were in the boardroom, we were sitting in there, and he just says, I'm about 24-ish at the time, 23, I don't remember exactly when I started, somewhere 30-some years ago, 34 years ago. He says, hey, we should go elk hunting. And I said, dang, yeah, we should. And uh, let's get, let's do it. So we bought our tag, Colorado. We drove out there and went to a um, city market, bought our tag at the convenience store, and went out by Crusty Butte somewhere, somewhere out there. And we went in a minivan. (laughs) (laughs) We went in a two-wheel drive, front-wheel drive minivan. And... We get out there and we're, we're we pack in this place and we're on this trail. I almost hate saying this. I've never told this story on a podcast. <laughs> never. I've been on almost fifty podcasts and I've never told this story because it's a, bit, a little embarrassing. So you just got me in the right mood tonight, I guess. So we get to the trail. Me and my buddy, 
We've never seen an elk in the wild, and never. What only elk we've ever seen. I remember, there's no internet hardly then. I mean, we had internet, of course, but it wasn't like massive YouTube. All that you had to go buy the DVDs. You got some, you know, some Primos elk hunting DVDs or something. You know, we rented all those and watched those. We've never actually seen an elk, and so or an elk track, <laughs> and uh, so we get to the trail and we're hiking in. Man, there's just all these tracks, and we're like, holy cow, these freaking elk are just running up and down the freaking trails. Like, we're just going to kill one on the trail. They're just, I mean, the tracks go in every direction. We're hiking, hiking, and we come, finally, we're three or four miles, or whatever we are, and we're carrying our gear in those days. I mean, I don't even know what our packs weigh. I mean, you know, we're struggling. We're barely getting back there. And this... <laughs> We get up over this hill and it's it's kind of foggy and it's kind of a nasty day and it's the the basin's kind of clouded in and we can see this herd down there and we're like look at that I mean we're already we ain't even been here ten minutes we're glassing and we and then finally we hear them we hear a noise and we're like what was that we're like is that a bugle we're like we could hear it barely from down there. Finally, I'm like, that sounds like a cow, like a cow. <laughs> and we had freaking been stalking a herd of cows, <laughs> cattle. And we glassed them all up down in there, and, and we could barely see them. And uh, so that's how our elk hunting started. So all those tracks, obviously, were not elk. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And, you know, I mean, it makes sense, but I think we, we probably – common sense wise we should have figured it out but we are so excited that we are in colorado and that the, we just probably overlooked the obvious and um it, it was fine so we never saw an elk the, the whole time and then i got super sick the story's a little long but it's, it's interesting so we pulled the minivan over <laughs> we saw some elk cross the road finally see an elk cross the road but we didn't get a good look at it we just boom we ran across the road so the next day we went back to the spot where they crossed the road, <laughs> you know, like good hunters would do. And I just marched up in the timber. I could see the minivan from where I was at. And I was up on the hill sitting, and I was just sitting on the stump. It wasn't middle of the day, but it was late, late morning. And I see something coming through the timber. I thought it was a horse. I mean, it looked like a horse to me. I'm like it must've got loose. I'm kind of looking at looking and it's coming right to me. And it's just in the brush and pops out where more open. And I'm like, that's a freaking elk. And uh, it walks right up to me. I shot that cow, shot her at six yards. <laughs> and uh, she runs down and run, the blood trail was right behind the back lift gate of the minivan. She crossed the road and went, goes down in the ditch. And so ended up, you know, ended up getting there. But that was my first, uh, first elk. <laughs> my first elk. <laughs> oh. And did that uh, spike the passion there? Um Oh, now I'm you sorry. had to get a bill, uh, a bull rather, or, you know, no, how, how did that go? Not really. Not really. I mean, I, um, oh, I mean, everybody wants to kill a bull, obviously. And right. uh, the only reason I even killed that cow is because it had been a few. Well, we had all kinds of things. Like, I, well, I don't think I'm going to shoot a small one at first. You know, I mean, who? everybody says that. But in reality, <laughs> you <laughs> well, better shoot the first bull. When you first start hunting, you better shoot the first bull coming by. Right. And, uh, but we, you know, we had big dreams, obviously. Um, 
And then so I killed a cow that year, killed a little bull the next year, and maybe and then I don't think I didn't get one my third year. Um, but anyway, so I had some you know good success in the beginning, but it really didn't matter, guys. I was addicted to the adrenaline. I was addicted to the fatigue. I was addicted to the toughness. Um, at the time, I was in, in really good shape. I was really working out. I was doing triathlons most of that time. I was doing Ironmans on a pretty pretty serious level at that point in my life, and even not really in the beginning, but kind of middle of the time. So I just loved the pursuit, and I loved the challenge of the hunting. You know, whitetail hunting is is great, but it's tree stand. I mean, you know. I don't want to diss whitetail guys, but a lot of whitetail hunting is who you have property to hunt on. You're as good a whitetail hunter as the property you're hunting. And so if you've got a good place to hunt, then you're good. Public land whitetail hunters, dude, those guys are serious. I mean, you, guys are getting it done on decent bucks on public land in, in Missouri and other states like that are really, really, in my, in my opinion, next level whitetail guys. And a private land, you know, I mostly hunted private land and it was all who I could get permission. And so, but going out West and having access to all these places and all this public land and just being able to explore, I was addicted. I was just addicted. And I didn't miss an elk season for 19 years. And then I finally had missed one because of work. I just, I, I started my own business. I got too busy and I missed two years in a row. And I was almost suicidal. And my wife's like, dude, you, you got to go. I'm like, I can't. I said, we got too much going on. I just can't. Dude, she goes, I can't live with you if you don't. I mean, you're going to have to do something. I mean, this ain't going to work. So I started piecing together a few little hunts. Went on a couple guided. Went on drop camp. Went on some of these you know, easier to deal with hunts. And just didn't like it. And then eventually I got back into it hardcore again, harder core again. And then eventually I moved to Montana, I, you know, six, six years ago, we packed up and moved to Montana and uh, it's been a dream ever since as far as elk hunting goes. <laughs> so from that perspective, it's something I was going to ask you a little bit when we were kind of getting into your course, but I, I guess it's a good a time as any. Um, how do you go from the guy that shoots one, out of the back of the minivan of sorts um, <laughs> to an expert. And, and so to, and it's not like a, a, you know, backhanded question or anything like that. Well, for one 30 years of experience. would <laughs> Well, there's lots of guys that have hunted whitetails for 30 years and haven't killed shit or like, aren't yeah. good at it. So yeah. um, I, I'm just, I'm just curious, like um, the level of like uh, preparation, I think is what, um, you've kind of made a name for yourself with in the, in the way that you go about your, your planning. Um, right. So, I mean, just kind of from well, that perspective, I, let's just, let's just back that question up just a little bit. I am still the guy shooting elk out with mini man. <laughs> um, let's just be honest. The, okay. I've killed a lot of elk in my, in my, I mean, a lot. I, I was trying to figure out, I don't know what my percentage is. I'm not right. I don't even want to try to, but I'm in the I'm close to 70 percent as far as success on all the years. But I still have not killed a bull over three twenty. Still to this day, um, I've killed some right around that range, and um, but I'm looking for a big bull. My problem is, guys, until I moved to Montana, okay, 
Remember what I said about I couldn't drive through a state that had elk to get right. to another state that had elk? Right. I also had the other problem of I couldn't let a bull walk by me. Right. So the first raghorn that would break off the herd just got shot. <laughs> and then I can't tell you how many times I had killed an elk and then calling for somebody. And then as of the caller, had a chance to kill a giant. <laughs> and it just, you know, the way it worked out. But I love elk meat. My family loves elk meat. And I'm a Missouri whitetail meat hunter guy. I'm a, I mean, I, I, I love the passion of the elk hunting. I'm not a trophy guy. I'm, maybe I'm a little more of a trophy guy in the whitetail world because I just really worked hard to kill some really big whitetails. But in the elk world, I'm just now, now that I live in Montana and I'm getting, last year I had five elk tags. So now that I'm getting, three to five elk tags every year. I'm dedicating 65, 70 days into elk season every year. I'm starting to get a little less trigger happy. <laughs> uh, and I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for some bigger bulls. And I'm passing some bulls up, calling in different bulls. And so I'm really enjoying that part of it, but I still haven't got a really big bull. So guys, you know, I, it's really difficult to you don't want to define yourself by kind of how big a bull you've killed in my opinion now i know instagram i know how that works right but for me in my course and everything i you'll never all the pocket everything you never hear me talking about how many big bulls and this and i wait for this and oh man i passed 100 bulls to get this bull and that's not my thing okay if that's what you're looking for no that's not what the course is that's not what i'm about that's not and there's nothing wrong with that. I got a dude that I know lives in Bozeman. I can't say his name, but the dude has never killed a bull under 360. I mean, and kills every year. The wow. dude is a giant killer. I mean, absolute giant killer. But he'll go to the ends of the earth, physical, mental, spot and stop, forget the calling. I mean, just looking for that next level bull. And um, that's what he does it. And that's great. I love calling. I love alpine mountains. I love chasing them in their environment. I like chasing the herds. Um, I'm addicted to that whole calling part of it. And um, so sometimes, you know, you cross paths with a giant and sometimes you don't. And um, But I'm about killing elk, okay? And I'm about filling freezer. And I'm about having a good time doing it. I'm about not being stressed out, not wondering what to do next, being frazzled because you can't find any elk, having no plan B, having no plan C. That's the stuff I'm about. And, and you know, we talked a little earlier about stringing together the odds. What can I do as an elk hunter to increase my odds exponentially? Because the average elk hunter is 10% archery, straight up. And it's actually less than 10% because the average is 10% public land, do it yourself. You know, non-premium tag draw is about 10%. Well, you start throwing in guys that are 60% chance successful. Well, that drops the average guy down way below 10%. You got guys that go out there every year and kill out almost. And that hurts the average tremendously. So you're, I mean, if you're driving from the Midwest on your first elk hunt, I'm not saying it's to discourage you. I'm just saying it's time to get some reality check. Absolutely. The, the reality is you're 5%. If you don't plan, 
And the only reason I say 5% is because that's just like the lottery. I mean, like you said, your buddy, the cow runs up, commits suicide at the car. <laughs> and um, that happens. But that's the 5%. <laughs> and um, But if you want to be 20% or 30% or 50 even, that's when I, I feel you got to start stringing together scenarios and odds. And I call them odds multipliers. You got to start stringing those together to increase your odds. And, um, and not the odds of killing a 380 bull. You know, my buddy this year, I'm looking at it right now. It's sitting here in front of me. It's 390 and, uh, killed it with a bow. Absolute incredible shot. 390. It's the biggest thing I've ever seen. It's sitting next to the three elk I killed last year. And uh, they look pitiful <laughs> next to this thing. And um, this dude's been hunting almost as long as I've been hunting. And he's killed some bigger elk than me, but he's never killed anything like this. And uh, just the opportunity came, and he made the most of it. And there was no mistakes made. And the wind, everything, he, he had all those multipliers in his favor. And it worked out on a next level, whole next level elk. And um, it's great. It's a great story. And um, in an area that we east scouted the crap out of, we started really difficult road access thing area, lots of roads, lots of access, hard to get away from people, lots of private land issues, lots of private land, people coming through the private to hunt the public, all this, all these scenarios. And so it, it took a lot of work to really strategize on what the approach would be. And, um, you know, every area is different, but in this area, it was, um, it was more challenging because of all those factors. And, um, if you just roll out there and you just say, I'm going to park the car here, I'm just going to hunt with no strategy, no method, no thinking about the thermals, no thinking about where the pressure's coming from, no thinking about what the slopes you're on, no thinking about where the benches are, where the water, where are they watering? If it's a low water area without a lot of thought on those things. Your odds are just—you're not multiplying anything. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're like—you might as well consider yourself zero percent at that point. If yeah, not, I mean, I mean well, you're not zero because you like your buddy. You got your got those. You got those suicidal elk, right? And um, there's a few of them out there. <laughs> so it's really easy um, for for us to to listen to this, and I mean, John and I are just glancing over at each other, just kind of like half chuckling because you know this is kind of like the way that we went into it a bit. And then for you talk about the whitetail public land guys that get it done. I mean, that's kind of like who we talk to and, and what we do here on, on, yeah, this, yeah. on this podcast. So, um, but it's really awesome to talk to you from the perspective of, you know, not letting a bull walk by because that for the average guy or for the, the first timer is a lot easier to relate to, then the guy says, well, oh, you know, you got to let these ones go by and, and whatever. And, you know, John's, you know, taking some shot at an elk. And, you know, I was in a position where the I, I don't know how to score elk, but a, a absolute giant from a Midwestern guy perspective, having seen elk that my dad has killed and, you know, other things. I mean, and just being able to just the all of the emotions that come together all at one time 
And then you're going to say, well, you know, I probably wouldn't shot that one. I would <laughs> let him go, you know, for, for, for guys on their first time going out there or guys that haven't been successful, haven't seen elk, you know, it, it's really nice to hear, you know, from someone like yourself that, you know, just Hard go out there and walk. Yeah. Put, put something on the ground. So common misconceptions for guys going out there their first time, you know, for us on our first trip out there, the one that John and I went on together, it is a 30 hour drive out to Idaho. And so our yeah. expectations out there, you know, we're all super excited on our way out there, you know, and then we get, get there after driving for, you know, we're, we're zombies. We sleep for six hours and then head out and then exactly what you said we didn't run into cattle but we started walking up the path and there's elk tracks everywhere and we're just like oh my gosh yeah we're gonna kill one right here and then we realized our packs were too heavy and just everything you know it, it the 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 reality set in that a we don't know what we're doing and b this is like huge country and it's just kind of we're looking at each other going well, what do we do next well what do you think we should do what do you th- we neither one of us have ever done this so we have no idea you know, and you, man, you're, that's a perfect lead in <laughs> for what I was getting ready to say. So in my course, and, and I, I was worried about this because I know how guys operate. I'm, I'm one of them and I'm just going to say guys, women. I mean, it just, I know how elk hunters operate. They want to know, everybody wants to ask me a couple of different questions. There's really two major questions I get. Well, number one, What's the best time to go? What's my best week? When should I go? I got seven days. What's the best seven days to kill an elk? Okay. That's the question number one. I get a lot. Second question I get, what do you, what's your key, what do you look for? What's the key things you look for? Like what's benches, north slope? What give me the just give me the list. And I'm like, okay. Those two things um, are not gonna kill you an elk. They're absolutely not going to kill you an elk. Actually, those two things by themselves will be odds decreasers of what because of just what you guys just said. The number one problem that I find, especially with new elk hunters, is they do not, they absolutely do not understand the realities, and they do not understand, fully understand their limitations, and they do not work around that. They do not have a plan for that reality or that limitation or the, I I don't say one, the list of them. And when they get out there, like you, just like you guys did, I mean, it's the same thing, guys. It's identical. They're like, whoa, this is harder, further. We're carrying more weight. These elk are living in, I mean, how can they even be on that slope? And you're like, it's overwhelming. It overwhelms people. It discourages guys. It causes regret. It causes indecision. And then guys start just making, I call it the wing it factor. They're just starting to come up with crazy ideas that they should do. Like we should go halfway back to camp and hunt elk there because it's halfway. (laughs) Well, there's no elk there. The elk are where you're at. They're not halfway to camp. They're not halfway back to the truck. But in their mind, they're like, oh, we could probably turn one up. We can, But they're looking at elk, but they can't hunt those elk because they're too steep. They're too far. They're too whatever they are. And they're just not – it becomes – I don't know if I'm saying this or if this is making sense, but it becomes overwhelming for guys. And so that's why the first five or six modules in my course, 
and I've, I've watched, I can see the progress <laughs> on every, on every student. And I can see guys just totally skipping these. <laughs> they're like, all of a sudden they're in module six and they looked at nothing in the first four because they looked at the topics. One of them was real realities. One of them is limitations. One of them is hunt planning. One of them is core, establishing core hunt areas. Another one is zones of pleasure, you know, some different things. And they just, screw that. I want to go right to the elk finding features. And uh, they go right. I've got 10 modules that are dedicated to elk finding features, what I call them. And they go right to it. And um, it, I just smile when I see it. I mean, they're probably getting some good information and maybe they understand all the other stuff. I'm not, I don't know. But guys, it is, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a newer elk hunter, you're already ahead of the game because you're listening to this great podcast that's giving you some things, that's getting ready to give you a few things that I have absolutely failed at multiple, multiple times before I figured it, figured it out. And the number one failure is in the course, I call it the hunt parameter. They get outside of the parameter that they're comfortable operating in. They can't, they either e-scout or they look for areas that are unreachable. They're out of the realm of possibilities, their packs, their gear, their fitness, their time, their vacation time, how much time they've got. All these things are deciding factors on your limitations. So it's not just physical. Everybody thinks physical, physical, dude, it's not. Now, physical is important in elk. Let's just be honest. It's at the top of the list. But your mental attitude, you got to be in the game. I know a guy, I got a Ryan Lampers. I'll just say Ryan Lampers, you guys, I don't know if you guys follow him. The dude's, I mean, he's a killer, natural born killer. He will hunt an elk for 30 days. He will not see it at that elk for 30 days. We bear hunted this year. We packed in damn near 20 miles to bear hunt. Who does that? Nobody. We packed in 20 miles to hunt a bear that he seen the year before that he called red lightning. Okay. And he nicknamed it. He didn't get it. It, it ditched him. He missed it. One of the biggest bears he's ever seen. And this dude kills the bears. So he says, we're going back. I'm like, what makes you think the bear's going to be there? He's going to be there. I'm like, dude, in the same drainage one year later and two weeks different time frame. Oh, he's there. I'm just going to find him. I'm like, Okay, so we load the lungs up, we pack in, took us a couple days to get in. So we're, you know, on a 12-day hunt, we're spending four of the days just getting in and out. (laughs) And we get there, they glass, glass, seeing a lot of bears, no red lightning. He said, he's there, I'm going to pack up to this ridge, I'm going to spike camp. So we had our base camp, it's a a two-and-a-half, three-mile pack straight up, straight up to this nice ridge where you can get a better view of the patient. So they pack him and Brian call pack up and they're going to spend the night on the night. I stayed down to freaking fight the grizzlies off with the, with the llamas <laughs> and uh, packed up there. I get a text on my Delorme red lightning is down. <laughs> I'm like, what the freak? <laughs> they go up there and kill that freaking bear. Same bear. No shit. He's, he's done it with elk. He, and the only reason I'm telling you that story for you guys and the guys listening is, guys, this is a guy that knows how to get it done. There's no doubt about it. But he didn't – we had no idea how many days it was going to take us to turn this freaking bear up. 
But he said if it takes him 12 days to cur- turn him up, it's just going to take 12 days. And he also said if I come out without him, I just come out without him. Yeah. And there's not many guys that I've ever met that are wired at that level. And I'm not talking about just killing a giant animal. I'm talking about the mindset of saying, I'm going in there to kill an elk. I don't care what elk. I'm just, I'm going in to do it. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to get the plan together. I'm going to work the plan. And I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to falter when I don't see anything. When I get hot, when I get cold, when I, I get blisters, I get, I'm just not going to worry about that stuff. So I'm going to overcome the physical. I'm going to overcome the mental and the fatigue and the missing your wives and your kids and all the things that go without kind of guys. Those are real things. If you're solo hunting, the fear factor, the grizzlies, I do a lot of solo hunting and everybody thinks I'm not afraid of grizzlies. Dude, I, if you're a grown man and you're not afraid of grizzlies, you're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, you're an idiot. We saw five grizzlies on that hunt. And we had two in camp, close encounters, like really close. And you just, all these factors are always in play. And it's not about the best bench all the time. It's not about the best meadow. It's about understanding the realities and limitations. And there are several. And we could talk about a few. So guys can kind of, when they hear them, you don't have to really explain it that much sometimes. It's just like, Sometimes it's just like you need to hear them and you need to understand, like I mentioned parameters. Let's just talk about that one first. One of the first things I teach in the course is you got to set a hunt parameter. What does that mean? Well, that's a radius, basically. So let's say you got trailhead A and the terrain is of X difficulty. You know, let's say it's moderately difficult. Now, when I say difficult, that that varies amongst guys depending on their fitness levels how off trail it is, how on trail it is, different things like that. So let's just say it's moderately difficult and you got trailhead A and you guys are coming from what states do you guys live in? Michigan. Michigan. You're coming from Michigan, Flatlanders. Um, and you're like, okay, we've been working out. We got our packs down. We know we, we we know five miles is is pretty good. We can do five miles multiple times. Because if you kill an elk and you're by yourself, it's about a four trip operation. So five miles becomes 40 miles. I hope everybody understands. You're in and out. I hope everybody can do the math on that. Yeah. You know, I killed an elk in Wyoming, and I had a 35-mile pack out. But it wasn't a 35-mile pack out. It was a six-mile pack out. But I had it with my camp. and I mean, it took me two days and 35-plus miles. And it was killed me. It was brutal. That was the year I bought llamas. <laughs> and... uh but it was, I was at the limit. My point was I was really at the limit of my hunt parameter. So I like to draw a radius, a circle, a physical circle, guys. I mean, is that elementary? A five-mile radius around the trailhead. Okay, that's my operating zone. I got I to gotta work my hunt plan into that zone. Now, if I see something just past it, maybe I can flex a little, but I have to understand what I'm dealing with here. And a lot of guys just sit on their computer, start dropping pins, start looking at ridges. They don't, and then I've done it. You start, I call it distance creep, and you start looking at things, and all of a sudden you're 10 miles from the freaking trail end. <laughs> you're like, okay, <laughs> it's probably not going to work. But man, that's a really good looking spot. I'd really like to go that. I'm going to, we're going to, we can make it there. 
guys, it's not reality. That's not facing reality. And um, so how many guys are going, how, you know, getting an elk in and out, what the temperature, what the heat situation is, and how long the meat's going to be okay. And also you have to work. I don't know which one of you two is the fittest, but you can't worry about who's the fittest. You got to worry about who is not the fittest. Right. <laughs> so you have to work on your weakest link. And that's not a problem, guys. It's just a reality that you need to face. And if you plan your hunt around it, you're going to be successful. I'm telling you, guys, there's elk a mile from the road. You just got to look at for them a little differently. And you got to look at the zones of pressure really carefully. You got to really analyze the roads. Maybe there's a creek you can cross, a river you you can wade across that guys won't cross. I mean, there's just things you can do. If you're more limited by distance, there's a lot of things you can do. Okay. And it's not always about going the furthest. It's about, you know, like we said, odds multiplier. The most odds multipliers are are not always the furthest from the road. Now, I like to hunt further away. I like to get away from people a little bit more, but it certainly is not a requirement. But when you set up your hunt plans and you start planning these things out, you start doing all these things that are required to elk hunt, having that hunt parameter is probably one of the most grounding functions and it's so dang simple to do. Um, and actually, on X, I'll just give on X a plug. I, I don't, I do not endorse any platforms, guys. I'm, I'm, I use the right tool for the right job. I say this in the course all the time. I use Gaia, I use GoHunt, I use BaseMap, I use on X, but I use Google Earth the most for e-scouting. There's nothing better than Google Earth. Simply fact, fact. Onyx ain't there, guy. Nobody's there. But there are times I use all of them for different things. But my, so with that said, Onyx has a new function that most people don't even know about yet. It's called a radius tool. You create a waypoint and then you edit that waypoint, and you say put a radius around it. So you put a five mile radius around that waypoint. So you draw your access point. You put a vehicle, your car icon, whatever your icon set, whatever you're using. You say drop a five mile radius. Boom. And now you're working with your hunt parameter. You drop a 10-mile radius. Whatever your radius is, you drop it. And then you start looking in that zone, 360, what's available to me? What's Where's the pressure going to come from? What's the features here? What kind of slopes do we got here? What kind of drainages? What kind of saddles, benches? That's when you can start breaking that core area down. But if you start just randomly looking at a, at a map or you've got Google Earth up and you've got no – parameters you're wasting a lot of time most of the time you're wasting a lot of time looking at areas that are outside of your reality does that make i know that was super long-winded answer to your question but no it makes um, a lot of sense guys it can it's a game changer no i think that makes a lot of sense my the the follow-up question and the question that guys are going to be sitting in their car or on their treadmill saying what happens when we set that parameter just like everybody else did and now we run into pressure? How do we deal with other hunters and pressure? Because we're we're first timers, we don't necessarily know what we're doing and everybody's looking at the same you know, go hunt statistics or whatever right. and then they're looking at the exactly. same trailheads and the same stuff. So what do they do then? Well, that's where the zones of pressure come in. Okay, that's a whole it, it's an hour and a half module in my course, a freaking hour and a half. You guys alluded to it already. <laughs> I like to do it old school. 
guys, I'm a, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty much a computer geek in my business prior to this. Um, I build my own websites. I do my, all my own graphic design. I'm, I'm pretty solid. I still do this. I pull my national force maps out, my printed national force maps. I cut my two mile radius out of cardboard. I cut my two one mile radius out of cardboard. I cut my three mile radius out of cardboard. And I start doing my concentric circles from all trailheads, all dead ends, all campgrounds, all takeoff points. And I start looking at where these people are going to come from. And and I put a two mile circle for now. This is for me. It can be whatever your reality is. It could be a one mile, it could be a half mile. There's no magic to the number. It's just you have to look at what your capabilities are and what kind of your reality is and what you think you can do. I know with my llamas that 10 miles, 12 miles is I'm good with that. Okay. I'm pretty good with that. I've got enough llamas that I can make, bring an elk out one trip by myself, solo hunting in hot weather, 10 miles. Got it. So I draw a circle two miles around every trailhead campground, dead end access point, takeoff, anything that looks like a spot that people would park their freaking car. And then I do a one mile buffer around every road that's open. Physically shade with a with a with a with a highlighter, a one mile buffer. I've got some pictures I've been posting of guys that send me their 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 maps, pictures of their maps, and how they just how freaking crazy they've gone. And because they've done exactly what I'm, they're just highlighting everything, and they're getting it all figured out. If you go through this tag, you'll be shocked at what jumps out. Even guys, even in areas that are super high access, like there's roads everywhere. You seems like there's roads everywhere, there's access everywhere. There are still places, even in high, like Oregon guys are always on me. Guys are in, I always get all this question from Oregon guys, Washington guys all the time. Dude, we can't get away from people here. There's roads everywhere. I'm like, yeah, you can. You just have to work a little harder. Meaning you have to understand the pressure like to the nth degree. And you can't understand that pressure just looking at a map. You can't. You're not – as human beings, we do not have the capability visually to look at that map and see the, the um, remote spots very easily. But when you start putting this on these circles and these buffer zones and all the things we talk about, you start laying that out on your map, there are things that are going to jump out. Now, maybe in some areas, not as many as in other areas, but they're still going to jump out. Then you start looking at the places where the circles are not quite reaching or maybe there's a a physical barrier. Maybe there's a creek or a river. There's some other reason that's limiting access. You start analyzing some of that. Then you start looking at what's left. That's when you start looking for the features within some of those areas. And not only where you you also got to think about not only where there's gaps in the pressure, but what, you know, it, you know, after you go through and you think through things a lot and you're really taking this, going through this process, what's also going to jump out at you is how the elk are going to behave. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to just move out of the country? No. Are they going to get into more rugged, isolated country if it's a high pressure area? Yes. What does that look like? What slope degree is that? Is that should I be looking at 25 degree slopes? In a tight pressure area, absolutely you should. 
And normally I like 15 to 20, but if I'm freaking getting that pressure, I get in the 20 to 30 degree. I'm looking for those slope degrees. I have a layer I turn on. I want to see the degree shaded. I want to see where that 30 degree slope is at. Because those elk know that 99% of the hunters are not doing that 30 degrees. They're just not. The other thing, like you mentioned, trail is guys, get off the trail. Get off the trail. There's elk within a quarter mile of those established trails. The guys just will not get off those freaking trails. It's like they're, I don't know. It's like a pacifier. <laughs> they feel like they can get out. They feel like they're not going to get lost. They feel like they're safer. They feel like um, when it gets dark, how many times has it been dark in your elk hunting crew? You've been two miles from a trail. Not many, because not many guys are that comfortable with that. But I love that territory. That's the killing territory. Two miles from a trail, a mile and a half from a trail. Nobody is in those spots. I'm telling you right now, very few. shouldn't say nobody because that's not true. Within a mile and a half of an established trail, meaning it's showing up on the topo map, nobody is there at crack of dawn, and nobody's there till dark. They're always in those places at noon. <laughs> nobody has a problem being a mile and a half from the trail at noon. Um, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of guys – They'll be in those prime elk holding spots, what I call elk holding spots, at noon. But you need to be there when they're coming from their feeding to their bedding at crack of dawn, and you need to be there at last light. And that requires really learning and really coming to grips with overland overland navigation at dark or pre-hunt plan, pre-route planning, what I talk about a lot in my course, planning your routes out off trail ahead of time before you ever go to the mountains. You got your whole day planned. Your whole route is planned out. All the features you want to hit, what time you want to be there, how much time you've got to get back to the trail, estimating two miles an hour, mile and a half an hour, whatever your pace is. There's a lot of planning that goes into it that guys just don't want to do, and I get it. You don't have to do it. But if you want to change the 10% success rate, that's what it requires. And in high-pressure areas, one of the best advice I'll give you is get off the trail. Just get away from it. Don't go to a trailhead, for God's sakes. Jump off the road somewhere between the highway and the trailhead, like a midway point or someplace that, like, just pull off the road. No parking spot, no dead end, no logging road, no nothing. And just hike up the freaking ridge, get on a ridge line, and bust over to a, a basin that has no trail in it. And, uh, I mean, it's not easy, but it's not that hard. But guys got to, it's like, like I said, it's a pacifier. Guys are so comfortable hiking they think they have to hike in on a trail i don't know what it is it's like a mental block it's like i gotta go to the trailhead and i gotta take this trail in and i'm gonna camp on the trail right here everybody does it everybody does it and then they wonder why they run into dudes every five minutes <laughs> because those dudes guys are like train tracks those hunters are in and out on that same trail, and literally just out of hearing distance just about a half a mile there's bulls bugling all over the place. If you don't think those bulls know where those trails are, I don't know what to tell you. How many times have you seen a giant bull track walking up and down a freaking established trail? Not very often. I, I mean, in 30 years of hunting elk, I just have not seen it that often. You don't, you're not walking down the trail like I mentioned with the cow tracks. Like, 
oh my gosh, there's freaking giant bull tracks all up and down this person trail. <laughs> no. Now, do they cross the trail? Yes. And I always am watching the steep slides where they're coming down a steep bank and crossing. I've always got my eye. I got my eyes when I'm packing on a trail. I'm more glued to the side, you know, whatever you want to call it, that freaking uh, pull-off lane on the highway. I'm looking at the side road more than I'm looking at the trail. Even when I'm driving in the car, I'm looking for those slides where they're coming and crossing the road. And you know, you can pick those things up. Do they rarely, do they get on the road and walk down the road? Sure, they do sometimes, but not that often. They're getting away. They're crossing the road when they have to, and that's it. Same with the trail, especially a real highly used recreational trail. Um, and so studying the trail systems, getting off the trail, analyzing the pressure on those trails, which can be done. I teach how to do it, how to analyze, how do you know how much pressure is on those trails? It's not that complicated. It's actually pretty easy. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a process you just work through and using Google Earth. You can't use any other tool. And you can't do it in the field. You have to do this work before you go. So that's, I mean, I know that's a long winded, but that's a great tip for guys. If you're coming out and you feel like you're in a pressure zone, there's a lot of people, like if you're hunting Colorado, dude, if you're hunting Colorado, period, get off the trail. Colorado's got too many freaking hunters. <laughs> okay, it's ridiculous. But it's also got a ridiculous amount of elk. They got three times more elk than most states. And you're like, how can they have three times more elk and five times more hunters? It's because the dudes do the same thing. And those elks know, those elk know what those dudes do. <laughs> and uh, I know it's funny, right? It's funny, but um, the off trail is a really, really, really key. And, but it's hard. It's hard mentally. It's hard to kind of make yourself do it. And you feel uncomfortable because you're like, you're a little nervous about it. Because that's how you, know, you can get lost. All the things can happen. And so people, they're just not comfortable with that navigation. So you have to learn that. You have to learn to live with it and learn to kind of work with it. So, you know, maybe you don't want to do your whole hunt off trail <laughs> um, at your first hunt, but you want to make sure you're factoring that, that kind of stuff in. I hope that makes sense. Sure. And and for guys that aren't uh, familiar with you and your, your style and everything, like when he's talking about a paper map and using a compass like it's like a giant Venn diagram of intersecting circles and then where, <laughs> yeah, that's right. where, it, where it doesn't uh, intersect is kind of those areas that you're kind of keying in on. Now, when you talk about doing the mile from, from every road and you had talked mm -hmm. about, you know, being able to find elk, you know, within the road, are you using that one mile as guys will road hunt that to avoid? Or are you saying that that might be guys are going past that and you can look there for elk? Well, like for example, one of the most popular things that people do nowadays because they're lazy. And I don't mean, I'm not being negative. I mean, it's just, it, I'm speaking the truth. They're base camping. Okay. They're hunting out of a vehicle camp with nothing wrong with that. I did it for years. My brother used to bring my brother's, my brother's OCD is so bad he he can't he can't function without a giant base camp with cook tents and I mean the dude I mean it's like a small city so for years we hunted base camp you kill a lot of elk like that 
but it's not as lucrative. It's not as lucrative as not base camping. But I don't want to diss that because one, it's fun to hunt base camp. You got your beer, you got all your stuff. It's fun. You're cooking meals, it's it's fun, but it's hard work. You're hiking in every freaking day. Um, what I'm talking about is guys will drive the roads, and those roads get traffic up and down those roads. Guys will drive and bugle and listen and bugle, and they'll park their cars and they'll go off trail. A lot of guys will park their car on the side of the road, like I just mentioned, and hike in to hunt, okay? But almost none of them. When I say none, I'm probably talking 95%. I'd be willing to bet it are going more than a mile from the road off trail. Rarely. Rarely. It's just too, it's just not in the comfort zone in most hunters. So that's why I've kind of picked the mile. One, you can't hear an elk from the road that's about a mile away. It's a, almost outside of that hearing range. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So they're not drawing attention. And those elk have gotten used to hunting. They know freaking people are there. They know people are buzzing those roads at four wheelers and raptors and who knows what, yelling and screaming and campfires and who knows what's going on out there. They just avoid them. And so they just kind of have this buffer zone, which I think is roughly about that mile. It's kind of the golden zone for me. And a mile to most guys say, well, that's nothing, which is really not. But guys, it's, it's a tough haul from the road, cross country. In most cases, it's not an easy deal to get a mile from the road with no trail and, uh, and nothing to follow and guide you and whatever. And so that's kind of my, why I do it. I, there's no real, you could do a half mile. You, you, you could do whatever you want. You just want to set it up. What you're looking for are pressure. You're looking for places with the, with less pressure. Okay. The bigger, the buffer, the less pressure, but that doesn't mean, that elk will not tolerate some pressure. So in the course, I reference a study. There was a big, big study that was done several years ago between mule deer and elk. What do they do with pressure? So they did it in this Colorado area with a high recreation, you know, like people hiking up to the lake in the summer, just hunters, but also just recreational traffic, mountain bikers, the whole bit. It was crazy. They found out that mule deer, believe it or not, mule deer did not leave. They adjusted their patterns. They became more nocturnal. They just got into tighter quarters. They just avoided, you know, avoided the contact, but they didn't leave. But elk did. Elk packed up and moved to a, not far, but just more remote. So what this article says to me is that elk respond to pressure by relocating. Now, when I say relocating, I don't mean mountain ranges away necessarily. They're just going to adjust, and they're going to work around that pressure. They're the masters of it. They, they, they're they incredibly talented at that, and they don't tolerate the pressure. So like I said, the deer will tolerate a certain amount of pressure. Elk will not. If they get pressure, they, they make an adjustment. Sometimes it's freaking next county, <laughs> but sometimes it's not, you know? Rifle season, when the bullets start flying and stuff, sometimes they relocate pretty far. But archery, just because a few dudes bumped them, uh, maybe not, you know, maybe not always. But so using those buffer zones and defining them, what you, and, and, and I hate saying like a defined distance, 
guys sometimes because in some areas like in Oregon and Washington where there's lots of roads, you might not be able to get away with the two mile, one mile. You might not have anything that's not inside a circle. <laughs> and uh, so it, you have to, your, your, your end goal, I guess I'll say it this way, is you're looking for the areas with the least pressure. And that is the same, whether it's really far from the trailhead or not that far from the trailhead. It's just the least pressure. And for elk, now deer, I don't know that I, I recommend the same thing, but for elk, like I told you, the study, and that goes along with my 30 years, I have found elk is like the people find elk and freaking they got their trail. That's why I'm not a big trail cam guy. I mean, I know guys use them and have a lot of success with them, but where those elk are at in August, July and August is not where they're going to be necessarily in September. And not only because that they're moving because of the rut, it's because maybe food source changes, but also the pressure. And uh, so, you know, it's just stuff to keep in mind. I hope. But, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. So when you talk about making the circles, like you said, I do it two different ways in the course. I do a cardboard circle that I cut out. I like doing that way the best because it's quickest. It's got a center. It's got a hole cut in the middle so you can see that where you're putting it, like on the trailhead or whatever. You just drop it on the trailhead, boom, you take the permanent marker, boom, zip a, zip a 360-degree around uh, two-mile diameter piece of cardboard. But I also will use a compass too. Like you mentioned, I think you mentioned the compass. Mm-hmm. Just use, and uh, you can use it both ways, whatever you like. But I, not many people do it, and uh, but more people are doing it. I'm getting videos, I'm getting emails, I'm getting pictures constantly now, dudes that are doing it. It's eye opening. When I started doing it, it just it just started really blowing my mind. I'm like, I just didn't see that little spot. I didn't see that. I didn't put that together. And uh, it's not the end all. It's just one tool. It's one, but it's a good one. Sure. And with the talking about pressure, um, you know, this year seemed to be like a, a boom for, for pressure with, you know, more people having more time off and things like that. And then we saw, you know, the changes for the upcoming year for Idaho and, um, some changes for uh, Colorado a little bit and the amount of hunters, everything. So for guys that are planning their first hunter that are, are thinking about it for that new hunter, uh, you know, over 30 years and multiple States hunted, uh, what recommendations would you have for guys on choosing where to go or go to uh, Colorado? <laughs> John's going yeah, to Montana. Well, here's, so. <laughs> here's the thing, you know, like you just said, you're right. But there is some good news, okay? So Colorado, I'm sorry, Idaho. Let's use Idaho because you mentioned it. You guys have hunted it. Mm-hmm. It's a great example. I never hunted Idaho until I moved here. It's it's I'm, I love it. It's one of my favorite states now for elk. And I hate almost saying that out loud. <laughs> uh, but it's a really, really great opportunity state. There's not a lot of giants in, in some of the more, I don't want to say general, but let's say the easier. I shouldn't even say easier because none of the tags are easy now in Idaho to get. But so the way it works there is they give away 12,000 tags on res. I think that's the number. And now they've decided last year, which I endorse, I'm glad, but it did create a mess. They now used to, you could just buy one of the 12,000 tags and say what region you want. Let's say you want to go to the Limhigh region. You just say, I want to go to the Limhigh. 
And if there was a tag available, you got it. That was great. Well, the problem was there's like three regions out of the nine that have elk in them. And um, all 12,000 dudes were going to the freaking same three regions. So what they did this year, which is good news, is they said, okay, the Beaverheads, the Liam Highs, the Island Parks, the whatever, the McCall, all of the regions in Idaho now have a defined number of tags. Not only are we limiting to 12,000, but we're also limiting how many per region. Does that make sense? Sure. And so everybody, you know, and with COVID and everything happened, it opened up December, whatever. I can't remember the first, the 15th. I can't remember what day. It opened up and sold out in four hours, except for a few of the crap units, <laughs> the regions. I had buddies that were on, online for four to six hours and didn't get a tag. Could not get in, could not get in the queue, could not. And then when they got the, in the queue, their number, their lottery ticket was so high, they didn't get a tag. I have to be honest. I had so many damn tags last year. I didn't put it right over this year. I didn't even try it. But now I'm regretting it because now I only have one tag. And I'm kind of in a state of depression right at the moment. <laughs> but um, I have one elk tag. I have Montana right now. That's it. I'm getting a little nervous. I've got a couple more draws left. And I'm going to have to go to Colorado. It's going to be Montana, Colorado this year, it looks like for me. And uh, I'm not dissing Colorado. I, I cut my teeth in Colorado, and I, I love Colorado. You just got to be ready to deal with the freaking hordes. No problem. I mean, honestly, what I just told, what we just talked about, the expectations, the off truck, you guys are way ahead of the game already. Just that, those couple little tips um, if you're going to Colorado. So I was mentioning the good news. So the good news is, guys, it's really hard to get a tag in Montana now. It used to be really, really easy. Now you got to have a point or two. Still not bad. Wyoming. I thought it was a shoe-in for me in Wyoming. Okay, three points. I had a buddy that was giving me his points, which is awesome. I, I love that. I went to Wyoming last year. So I actually had a chance to go this year again because they average points. And one of my buddies had 10 points and wanted to share them with me. I'm like, and another dude, three of us. And I was like, that's so graceful. You could draw a good tag, dude. No, I want to go with you. I'm like, that's awesome. Those are real friends, guys. When friends share points, you know they're friends. That's about, you know, it's like sharing your wife almost. I mean, <laughs> that That's crossing a line. When you're giving other people your points, anyway, this dude is, he's legit. So anyway, we had three points. I thought we were in for sure because last year, 2.56 drew 100% in Wyoming. So I'm like, we're in. We got three. We didn't draw with three points. And then I'm getting all these emails from other dudes didn't draw with over three points. So obviously a buttload of people that have been setting on points put in for Wyoming. So we didn't draw. So what I'm saying is Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, those are great states that you can hunt regularly. Okay. Just got to get it in your plan. Every three to four years, you can draw a tag in all those states, but they give out the same number of tags. So the great part is, the same number of people that hunted Montana five years ago is the same number is going to hunt this year. Now they just sold out quicker. Idaho, same thing, guys. Same thing. Actually, it's better in Idaho. This is going to be a fantastic year to hunt Idaho because they limited the zones. So when you go into those zones, there's going to be a limited number of people in there. And But they still gave out 12,000 tags. Last year, they gave out the same number of tags, but they didn't sell out till June. But they still sold out. 
They just sold out quicker. Do you follow me on that? So there's no more people than normal, supposedly, unless they unless they didn't follow the rules. But there's the same number of tags. Now, Colorado is a different beast because it's over the counter. Anybody can go. And so you got to be, you know, I, I, I suspect that those days of the over-the-counter Colorado tag are coming to an end. I would suspect that the, the just the sheer pressure and the resources and the trail. I went to a trail in Colorado that had 100, over 100 trucks there. Holy. I'm not, I mean, I pulled up. I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. I've never, they were camping in the road. There was no place in the, near the trail I had to camp. And I was like, we had our llamas, thank God. And we're like. And we went in, believe it or not, there's over a hundred rigs at this trailhead. We packed in with our llamas. I was in there for eight days, never saw a person. Never saw a human. How, I don't know. Because we were off trail and we were eight miles from the trailhead. And um, that was it. Nobody wanted to do that. And it was a 4,000 foot climb. So my point is, most of the states are still great because they're not letting in just mass numbers. They're just selling out quicker. Yeah. So Idaho, I, if I was telling guys what I, my strategy is, I hate, to, oh, I hate to say this, but my strategy is I'm always applying, always Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, always. Every year, all the time, earning points. Obviously, you can't earn points in Idaho, but getting my points in Wyoming, Montana, no problem for me because I'm a resident. But if I wasn't, that's what I'd be doing. And then I'm also applying in New Mexico every year because it's a lottery and you can win it. You, somebody's got to win it. I'm in the Arizona game, but I, I'm, I've got 16, whatever I got points. One of these days I'm going to draw a tag. I've never drawn an Arizona tag ever. And um, so, but if I was new, I'm not saying I would get, I, I don't think I would get in the Arizona game. It's a, it's almost a waste of money. I'm sorry, but it is. Um, you're, there's a random component, but it's very little. And it's just, you're better off to buy the super tag. I mean, your odds are almost the same <laughs> to buy the, the super tag lottery. I mean, it's not exactly true, but it's not far off. Idaho, I mean, Nevada, elk tag, are you kidding me? In your lifetime? I don't know anymore. I really don't. There's so many point holders in Utah and I in Nevada that the chance of drawing a tag in most of the really like top-notch stuff, man, it's going to be really difficult, guys. It's going to be really, really difficult for a lot of years to get a tag. And the over-the-counter tags in Utah, I, oh man, they're they're just not that great. I mean, you can kill elk; they're there, but I'd rather go to Colorado to be for me. Um, more elk, more opportunity, um, far more elk, and about the same number of people. <laughs> Utah gets hammered too, so the over-the-counter ones do. So I, that was a long-winded answer, but those are the states I'd focus on if I was new. Um, don't just go to Colorado because Colorado's easy. Okay. That I mean, I get it. It's easy. You can just get it and you can go. Put in for the and put in for the preference points in Colorado, guys. It only takes five points to draw a really good tag in Colorado. I almost hate saying that too, because <laughs> I got eight points and I'm about ready to cash in my eight. So don't start doing that till next year. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can't in Colorado. All the best tags are like under six points. Now, except for the primo primos, there's like about 10 units that take 20 points. So there, there's kind of a no man's land in Colorado. So like if you have five or eight points, you might as well go 
because you're going to have to wait to 20 to get the good ones. The, I mean, the, you know, the, the number twos and the, that I think at 10 and 61 and those other, those kind of units, they take 28, 27 points guys. And so in your lifetime, if you're starting right now, you've got a zero chance. Do the math. There's yeah. so many people that are in the, in the hopper already that have between eight and 21 that you can never catch up is what I'm trying to say. Right. It's called point creep. And, um, you know, every unit's a little different, but you really got to study that because you can't just say, well, I'm going to start throwing in for, I'm, I'm going to draw a unit 10 or so. I'm going to start putting in one of these days. I'll draw it. No, you won't. Not if you're 30, unless you live to 120, <laughs> you might get it. You, you might get it then. And you can't hand these things down, guys. You can't put them in your will. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that's my strategy on that. So uh, on that note, for, for guys that were just starting out or that are considering, um, even if they've got it in their mind that they want to do an elk hunt and they want to give themselves the best odds of success, uh, it sounds like the best way to go about it would be to just start buying points for Montana or Wyoming, kind of like, uh, I guess, what guys do for, like, say they want to hunt Iowa. You know, Iowa so they just teams. start buying points and, exactly. and, and, and doing the research. And then maybe if they want to go, go get a little bit of experience in Colorado or somewhere like that and just continue to do your research and, and, and figure it out almost like you're doing one of these lifetime or draw hunts where you're, I mean, I think of like sheep and stuff where people put in right. points forever and they do all the research. So when their number gets called, they've got everything planned out already. Well, and exactly. And the thing is, guys, hunt elk, hunt elk. You don't want to draw a 10-year tag, some primo freak. Let's say you draw it. I would hate to think you would draw a 380, a unit 380 tag in Montana, which is the Elkhorn, hardest tag draw in Montana. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the hardest. I would hate to think your first elk hunt was the freaking Elkhorns after 10 years of waiting for it. Guys. <laughs> you got to get elk. some under your belt. <laughs> hunt elk. Go to Colorado. Chase elk. Chase hunters. Um, have a great time. Hone your skill. Guys, if you're killing elk in Colorado, you can kill elk anywhere. <laughs> um, that's a better way of looking at it. It's glasses half full, guys. I'd rather be elk hunting than not elk hunting. There's no way. There's no way on this earth that I'm going to wait every four years to hunt Wyoming. I'm not. I'm going to keep putting in every freaking year, and I'm never going to miss that deadline. I missed it once. And I cried. My wife, this is the first time she ever saw me cry. <laughs> My wife felt so bad for me. It was the first year I moved to Wyoming and I had enough points. I mean, first year I moved to, Mo Mo to Montana, I had enough points to draw a Wyoming tag again and I missed the deadline. I went to bed and forgot. And I woke up and I was, I was so upset. I was crying. And my wife, <laughs> oh, this is the first time I've ever told, man, you guys are getting some good stories out of me. <laughs> So my wife the next day called Wyoming Fishing Game and asked him if there was anything she could do. <laughs> I said, honey, I really and she said they said no. I'm like, well yeah. <laughs> I said, I really appreciate that effort, baby. I said that was that was above and beyond. Um but yeah, when I miss a deadline and I've missed a couple of them, they're brutal for me. I mean they're just they're heartbreaking. And uh so Put in. It's not that expensive. In Wyoming, it's not bad at all. 
In Montana, it's not even that bad. Um, some of the other states get rough. I mean, you're buying hunting licenses and you're paying fees and stuff. Like Arizona's pricey. Uh, New Mexico's not terrible, but a little price. Colorado's getting a little pricey now. They require a freaking hunting license now. They used to, but now they do. Um, but put in for Colorado preference points. And now most you should most guys should know this, but you know I know we're talking to a lot of new guys, and I kind of glassed over this. Um, in Colorado, the way it works is you can put in for a preference point only. Okay, it's a nine. The code number is like nine. Nine 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 nine. Whatever. It's a it's preference point only, and it's April fifteenth or something like that's the deadline. Okay, put in for the preference. Put in for that preference point, in Colorado, or put in for a tag. It doesn't matter because you can still you can still buy the over the counter. Okay, does not affect your points. A lot of guys are like, well, I'm just going to do over the counter. I'm not going to do points. I'm like, Dude, what? What do you what? <laughs> do both. And I know that, I mean, I know a lot of people, most of your people probably know that, but I've ran into people that don't know that. So make sure that you're putting in for Colorado, absolutely, because there's some really good draw units in Colorado, really good. And especially muzzleloader tags, really good muzzleloader tags. Um, yeah, really good. Gunnison areas, good good units down there that, that used to be over the counter when I used to hunt them. But now they're draw. And um, they give out quite a few tags, but they're still good. Still good. And so put in there, put in Wyoming, put in Montana for sure. And then um, the great thing about Idaho, guys, it's a June deadline for the draw. So I always, you know, you always know if you got tags or not. And you can put in for the draw tags. Now, the dark, the draw tags in Idaho are kind of hard to come by. There's not a whole bunch of them, but they're pretty good. But the odds are not great. But the great thing about Idaho, it's totally random, totally lottery. No prayer. Everybody's on the same level. So it's June. So you know almost the results of all the draws before before Idaho. So don't forget, that one's, um, I think it's over now, but that's one of the last draws of the year is Idaho. So don't forget about that one. And then and if you do what I'm saying, you're hunting elk every year, guys. Every year you're hunting elk. You are getting a Montana tag every couple of years, maybe you're getting a, um, and then the off years, you might draw a Wyoming tag and then you're building your points in Colorado. And then whenever you don't draw any of those other states, you don't, you get in line, Idaho, you don't make it. You don't have a Wyoming, you don't have a Montana and you got your preference point card. What do you do? You go to Colorado. Like what I'm doing last year. I kind of, I kind of flew the coop with a whole, I, I got lucky and drew a whole bunch of tags and Nothing super spectacular. Now, my New Mexico tag was pretty spectacular. But anyway, drew all these tags, and this year I'm paying the price. And so I'm a little low on tag numbers. I can't even remember a year I didn't have three elk tags. Can't remember it. And um, so this year I'm going to Colorado, which is great. I'm looking forward to it. But I'm going to have a strategy. I can tell you what. I will be getting my national force maps out, and I'm getting my cardboard circles out, and I will be testing my zones of pressure for sure. And I will know, I will know before I get there. And I'll have four or five different hunt areas all worked out, all ready to go. We didn't talk about that at all, but it's, man, you can't put your eggs in one basket. There's too many things. You show up, the roads are closed and they're not supposed to be people, too many, hundred trucks at the trail, like I said. Maybe that's too much for you. Um, fire. You got to go to plant. Fire. Yeah, exact Colorado. Look what happened last year. 
They refunded people's tags last year for the draw units and um, fire, all kinds of things. I, I had a road washout one time. It was gone. We couldn't even get 20 miles from where I wanted to go. And then we just moved to plan B, already ready to go. And I wasn't upset because plan B was almost as good, if not equal, to plan A. Yeah, that happened to me last year going to Montana. Our plan A was on fire, so we yeah. went, were like, oh, sh-. But plan- did you have a plan B ready to go? Kind of. I, I had <laughs> my, my buddy, though, lives in Bozeman, so oh, okay. he had some spots that he had hunted years ago, and so we we ended up. We got into elk, but it it took us two other spots. <laughs> but it was it definitely was eye opener, like going out and and like having, like you said, having all of our eggs in one basket for me. And after our Idaho trip, you know, I was like, you know, we did a lot of research, but we didn't, we didn't. Let's see, we didn't exercise our plan C or D or anything like that. We, they were kind of in play, but we got stuck on. Yeah. We didn't want to leave elk to find elk, but we also didn't know what we were doing. And we we should have moved our camp is what we should have done because we, we ended up, you know, you talk about that five miles, we were doing five miles every single day back and forth yeah, to, kill you. to get to these elk. And uh, we should have just picked up our camp and moved it to this creek that we hit every day on the way back, which was yeah. maybe about a mile from where we got into the elk. And that would have been yeah. much better. But it, again, we were just excited that we found the elk and, yeah. and, and then we were overwhelmed at kind of what to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, guys, it's, you know, and here's the other, you know, I love to. I love when you guys say things like this because it's just like so freaking. You, you know, you think that you're not the exception. Let me. I mean, this, this is just be honest here. This is the majority. Okay, so in that particular scenario, were you guys vehicle camping? No, no, we were two miles from the truck. In. Yeah, yep. So you were packed in, and then walking five miles from a from a remote camp. Yes. Oh, jeez. Yeah, you guys need to have your heads examined on that one. But uh, but usually what happens with the base camp, okay, guys get comfortable, and they kind of like it, and it's too much. And it's like, well, we only got two days left, and let's just keep doing it. And, and it's too much trouble, or, you know, we've already got the tents up, and they're going to be wet. Or what, what a million reasons why they won't tear that cam down and freaking move. Or they've seen a couple of elk. You know, that's another problem. Guys see just enough to keep them there, okay? It's like you, you're about ready to give up, and you see a cow walk by. You're like, dang, okay, there's elk here. And you're like, oh, and I know it's hard. It's it's bird in hand, guys. It's hard to give up the bird in the hand, even though it's a freaking sparrow, and you're looking for a mallard, and you got to give it up to move to the other spot. Guys, you'll never regret. You will never regret exploring new country. Never. I've never moved my operation. I've never moved my – in 30 years, I've never made a massive move. It's a, that was stupid. Even if I didn't – even when I didn't kill out. Now, I never moved to camp when six-point bulls were running around, and I was fighting for my life either. I mean, 
you know, let's be honest. You're not moving because things are great. You're moving because there's nothing or it's marginal. And the marginality keeps a lot of guys stuck in the rut. The other thing that, you know, that's really bad on Midwest guys, I hate to pick on Midwest guys, but I was one of them and I did it. This is a really, really, really important aspect. And if you're listening to this, I hope you're paying attention to this. If you are a veteran elk hunter, okay, and you've been traveling from the Michigan and you've done two years of elk hunting like you guys have been, you have to be careful of a very, very serious problem. What happens is you're going to find a spot or you're going to run into elk or you're going to, you had an opportunity last, you guys had opportunities, okay? And you'll be like, well, we're going back there. You got to be careful about going to the same places all the time because you're not, you've got it already worked out. It's comfortable. You're like, you know where to go. You know where to park. You know, you've worked out the ins and outs. It's comfortable. Next thing you know, 10 years later, you're hunting the same damn spot. I know guys that, well, we're going to elk camp. I'm like, really? Where are you guys hunting? Oh, same place. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean like same place? Oh, yeah, my family, we've hunted the same place 25 years. We just camp and that's what we do. I'm like, huh, are there elk there? Well, we've killed a couple in 30 years. <laughs> and I'm like, but they just, that's their thing. I'm not dissing them. They love, I think they like the camping and family part more than they like the killing part, which nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that's your priority. But if you're if you're going to kill elk, you've got to go where the elk are. Okay? I say in the course all the time, guys, you cannot kill an elk that's not there. Right. And I don't care if you've got north-facing slopes, the best benches, the best ranges, the grass is freaking neck deep. There's not a single hunter in there. Nobody. There's no footprints. You're off trail. Sometimes, guys. In the best, every, let's say there's every elk finding, all 10 elk finding features within a half mile. There might be no elk there. And you got to accept that reality and move on. It's no problem. Hey, the grass is greener. If it, The odds are, if the elk aren't there, the odds are the elk are somewhere else. <laughs> so you're increasing your odds going somewhere else. But you don't go somewhere else easily. Guys don't do it easily if they do not have it already worked out. And when I mean worked out, I mean all worked out. I'm talking access, driving directions, campsites, routes, downloaded the maps already. You've got all your hunt area maps already downloaded to your hunt application of choice. Everything's already built. Everything's already ready. You're familiar with it. You've done the zones. Of you are, you're as intimately familiar with option number four as you are with option number one. If you take that approach, guys, you're never going to be in camp. Remember what you guys said to me earlier? You're like, we're walking in there. We didn't quite know how to tackle this. We didn't know when we moved the camp. We didn't know what to do. We're asking each other, what should we do? Right? Yep. Mm -hmm. You're never going to say those words. If you've got that written hunt plan, you just pull it out. Well, let's, let's look at what we got here. Pull it out. Read it. Guys, you're not going to remember everything you put on there. I write them out in writing. I have a template I use. Morning, midday, evening, every day. My strategy. Do I follow it every day? Hell no. Do I follow it most days? No. But I'm looking at it, and I'm giving me ideas for the day that I'm working on. I'm like, tomorrow, I'm laying in my tent with my headlight on. I'm looking at my upland. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I forgot about that spot. I'm looking at that ridge. I forgot I made some notes about that. I'm going to go there in the morning. <laughs> 
I'm not going to do what I originally planned anymore. But, but I got that information from my hunt plan. Does that make sense? That makes a ton and of I sense. I can't tell you how valuable that is because you guys know you guys were hiking five freaking miles to find elk every day, yeah. <laughs> just to get to the elk, and then how many miles you have to actually do to actually hunt the elk? Another and couple. So you guys, you guys had to be half brain dead. Oh, we were. We were screwed. Well, that was the so thing. You're so you're not making good decisions. You're not processing information as well as you are at home when you're sitting around thinking about it. And but when you're in it and you're wet and you're cold and you're hungry and you're tired, your brain is just like, and that hunt plan you play, oh, man, yeah, yeah, okay. we got some options. we got some options. i got more options. And you don't – people don't even realize what kind of pick-me-up, what kind of energy – that you can get from those op when you read that option and you kind of forgot about it and you read it like, Oh man, I know what I'm doing tomorrow. I, we got a plan. Right. Oh, it's so much better than laying in the tent, just scrolling your freaking on X trying to figure out where are we oh, going next? Where are we going today? Yeah. Cause that's, you know, you can't, what you're talking about is kind of like what happened to me last year is like, I kind of, like I said, put my eggs in the basket, but I had let my buddy, you know, like, he's like, oh, I got the spots. I've been in scouting. And then, like, the week before we went out, it caught on fire. And he's like, well, I got some other spots. That, I was like, oh, man. Now I felt like an idiot because I'm, I'm going out there half-assed. You're you know? counting on him now. Right. And it's like, I won't let that shit happen again. But what you're talking about doing these hunt plans and stuff, I was laying in the tent, like you said, and I'm looking at my freaking – I'm using my base map, and then it's like, okay, what, what, where am I going to hunt tomorrow? What are we going to do? You know, it's like, that's the worst feeling ever. Oh, it's terrible. And so, having a hunt plan, like, like you might not use it, but when you need it, you got it. Man, that would be, I definitely well, would have been. <laughs> here's the thing, too. Okay, if you write out a hunt plan like I described in this course, like it's like for let's say for example on a seven day hunt. I recommend doing five days of hunt planning. You don't need to do seven full days because you're never going to plan a hunt for seven days and follow it for seven freaking days. Nobody's going to do that. But if you have five days worked out, that gives you enough days to add lib, other days, check things that you – well, let's be honest. On day one, you go up to Ridge and you call elk and you call two bulls in and you miss one, you're probably going to go back to the same Ridge. So you don't need – Seven days worked out is what I'm saying for seven-day hunt. If you go seven days and you work through an entire freaking – if you're on a seven-day hunt and you've gone five freaking days of your hunt plan, you haven't seen, heard, or felt like you're elk at all, you need to go to plan B anyway. So you don't need a sixth and seventh day because you're out of there in five. <laughs> um, so – but here's the thing. Here's what I'm getting ready to say. When you do a hunt plan, like I'm saying, at the level I'm saying it, I mean into the nth detail written out, almost planning routes, where are you going to get your water? Where are you going to freaking – where are you going to call from? Where are you going to glass from? Where are you going to – what north slopes you're going to look at? What what benches you're going to climb up to and, and see if there's sign or rubs or whatever you're doing? Looking for saddles, see if there's trails for these saddles, all these features. If you write this all out and you do it for the days that we're talking about, and different elevation, but there's a lot of factors going into this, not just doing it, but there's one element 
that people don't underestimate. They way underestimate. And I call it historical knowledge. When you go through the time to study it and look at your maps and look at Google Earth and your base map and whatever you're and you're just studying and studying and studying. When you hit that field, you are educated. Your historical knowledge is just almost seeping out of your pores. I mean, I know it's hard to tell. I get excited about elk hunting, but um, guys, your historical knowledge is just elevated. That's what next level hunters do. You guys don't even, most people don't realize how much I called my buddy just while ago. What are you doing? Oh, I'm studying some new holidays. Like, oh, really? I was doing that this morning. And uh, one of my worst things about creating this course, I'd be looking at some spots for some samples. And all of a sudden I'd find myself like the next unit over, I'm e-scouting. I'm like, damn it. I got to get back to, the, I got to get back to the freaking job here. I mean, and cause I just would lose track and I'd be over in some outrage looking for another spot for me to hunt. And um, so, but the historical knowledge that you're banking, it's like putting a deposit in the bank. And when you go on that hunt, it's available for withdrawal. Okay. There's no other way to describe it. No better way to describe it. But if you don't, you're like your buddy. Okay. He's got the spot. You're kind of counting on him. You've got no historical knowledge. When you roll into that plan B option, you're looking at him saying, well, where should I go? Am yeah. I right? Oh, absolutely. So what happened when we went to the third spot, we we ended up staying in a motel and I was like, we need to get somewhere that's got some Wi-Fi because I need to download these maps. And, I, yep, and so, because yep. like you said, I'm going in there completely blind. I don't even know what this area looks like at all. So I spent the night in the motel downloading the the maps to my base map and then trying to get some knowledge of it and, you know, looking at it, you know, and they had hunted that spot two years ago. And so they, you know, that's where my buddy Mark wanted to go in and, you know, cause he get they had a base map or base camp set up where he could have his beer and, you know, do his day <laughs> yeah. hunts. Cause he was the kind of guy. And nothing wrong with that, man. Right. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was like, well, the first He's the guy that didn't do any prep. You know, he, like, rode his bike twice and hiked the sand dunes with us twice, you know, bought his pack the week we were heading out. And the first, we're, we're going, we packed in, we're going to pack in five miles on a, and we, we've planned for 10 days back in here. And in the first mile and a half, he got a blister that was so bad we had to quit at three miles. <laughs> well, and that blister was so bad that he had trouble even hunting after that. Yeah, luckily, well, he had to hike back out in the morning and get his other boots, and he ran into a uh, a smoke jumper, and because he's like talking about this blister, he was going to go in and leave, get in the truck, and go to a pharmacy and try to find something to to. And the and the smoke jumper's like, dude, he's like. Just get some duct tape. He's like, matter of fact, here, I got a little extra. Duct tape it and put your other boots on and suck it up. And he, <laughs> he made it. The duct tape was best, the best thing ever. <laughs> but, well, Luco tape. So that's another tip. So if you're going to, if you want to know what to buy, buy it. It's called Luco tape. Yeah. Um, you got, you can't go in the mountains without Luco tape in your pack. You just, you got your elk tag and right next to that, you got Luco tape. And, um, those are two. Those are top two. You know, foot problems. 
it's the biggest it's one of the bigger hunt killers out there oh yeah i mean it's hard to guys I, I, you're tough i mean even the toughest dudes are crying with that it's just you you know like he said get tough i i understand that but the reality is it's a very debilitating situation yeah it, when it gets when it gets that bad it put him down like i said like he he was i mean mile and a half and he was like man I'm hurting, and by mile three, he was like, "We got to stop now." See, and that's the other thing too. The minute you feel it, the minute, not a mile, not two miles, not when I get to camp, I'll fix it. The minute you feel something wrong, pull those freaking boots off right there. Get your duct tape out. Get your Luco tape. Whatever. Take care of it right then. Yeah. And if you stop it as soon as it gets hot. You know when a blister, guys, you don't just magically get a four-inch blister. Right. You get a four-inch blister because you won't stop. You just keep going until it's so bad. Then you got a problem. But the minute it's hot, the minute you're having, you're like, okay, I'm stop throwing piece of tape on this. Sometimes that's all it takes. Right. And uh, like this bear hunt we went on, we crossed seven rivers. And we were taking our boots off every time because it snowed. It was cold, so freaking cold. And so we're wading across barefoot and we with Crocs on and then getting the other side. I'm kind of half-assed drying my feet with my socks, throwing them on. Well, then we started, we killed a bear, started doing this three-mile side hill business. My feet were still damp. I mean, I got hot spots, okay? I wasn't getting blisters yet, but I had hot spots, serious ones. And I'm like, I got, so I stopped through a freaking half a roll of broken Luco tape on both feet. Boom. Never felt another Never even, never even knew I had a problem, but I, I know better to keep pushing it. I've learned, well, the only reason I know better is because I've freaking been in that situation. Well, it's a great transition. Like, so one of the things that we talk about a lot with whitetail hunting and with, you had mentioned like Instagram and social media earlier, um, it's real easy for even podcasts like ours and you know, just everything that's out there trying to market to you about gear. We're in a real gear driven, uh, society and like uh, community, you know, with hunting and all the stuff that's in front of you yeah. constantly. Um, you know, and we kind of lean towards more, you know, experience, uh, woodsmanship knowledge kills more deer than any bit of gear. Oh, um, God. but sure. the other side of that is for new guys going out there, like, guys like yourself with 30 years of experience and the, you know, the Luco tape being one of them, um, boots being important outside of, you know, your feet. What is another, I mean, important piece of gear and maybe something else that's maybe overhyped, um, where you're going to spend your money or, you know, whatever. Well, you know, we talked about the, 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 foot problem boots are obviously an issue they're they're a big deal you can't you know and just because your buddy loves crispy boots doesn't mean you're going to love crispy boots i mean i hate to say this but it sucks to buy a 500 dollars pair of boots and then they just don't work for you i've done it my wife so my wife has some shoes okay a few but when she goes down to my hunting room she goes dude what in the freak she's like you gotta we gotta have a garage sale I mean, you can't, you can't wear those, that many pairs of boots in the rest of your life. And I'm like, half of those boots I can't wear. She goes, well, you need to sell them. I said, well, you know, someday I might wear them. 
Yeah, I, you can't give up your boots if you're not. I don't know. There's just something <laughs> about it. There's just something about it. You're never going to wear them, but you're not going to give them to somebody else. Um, but anyway, I have a lot of boots, and it took me a while to figure out which ones work for my feet, which ones work for my width, and things like that. So boots, obviously, you can't hunt elk with bad feet, guys. Oh, my gosh, you just can't. You've got to. Your feet, you can almost be wet. You can deal with a lot of things. You just, those feet, your feet get you everywhere you've got to be. And it's a it's a big deal, really big deal. Do not underestimate it. As far as breaking a man, hiking with him, getting him used to. When you find a pair of boots, save your money, buy two. Okay, have a backup pair, the same pair, same boot. And I know it's I know that's a lot of money, but it's your it's. I'd rather don't. I mean, I don't want to diss any companies, but don't buy two hundred dollar hunting pants. Okay, stop it. <laughs> don't buy two hundred fifty dollar hunting pants. Buy a pair of sixty dollar prana pants on sale at go hunt and dude I, I hunt 30 days in the same pair of pants they're pranas they're 66 dollars they're the best elk hunting pants on planet earth and they're freaking from a yoga company <laughs> and um i i mean the first slide the two all the i mean i get it it's great to say you you look good but the money you save on those pants you could apply to the, some new boots so you know, there's a few things like that. Um, but the number one, the, the, one of the biggest things that guys run into, especially the Midwest guys, is the water. Okay, guys, water. And I've learned this the hard way. Okay, I'm naturally, like, dehydrated most of the time, it seems like. I just don't drink enough water. I did the 75 hard. I just finished the 75 hard, guys. And, um, like, less than a week ago. One of the biggest struggles in that program, I don't know if you, how much you know about it, you have to drink a gallon of water a day. I haven't drinking a gallon of water a day in my life. Even when I did Ironmans, I don't think I drank a gallon of water. I don't know. Maybe I did. I, but I just sitting around drinking a freaking gallon of water. It was like, it was difficult for me. But, oh, man, did I feel so much better when I started doing it. So I'm, I can speak to this from experience. So when you come from the Midwest and you go elk hunting, you're coming from a humid environment, especially like Michigan and Missouri, I, all these. You're coming from a more humid environment where you're used to that humidity. And you're coming out to no humidity. And your body thinks it's not thirsty. Your body's like, oh, I'm doing great. But it's not. You are not sweating as much. You're like, oh, okay, well, I'm, you know, no big deal. Most elk hunters do not drink near the water they need to drink. Okay. So that's number one. So your water system, which I'm going to talk about, but number two is electrolytes. Because when you're not sweating and you're like that dry perspiration, you're still you're still losing that moisture. And guys will start drinking to compensate. So now they're drinking a lot of water. Now they're flushing electrolytes out of their system. So a lot of guys don't pack electrolyte stuff. Now more now guys, you know, mountain ops and Wilderness athlete, all these companies are now marketing that stuff to hunters now. So it's getting a little more known that you need to kind of do it. I'm not recommending those products. I'm just saying, I'm not saying they're bad either. I'm just saying that the awareness is more, like I use a couple different things. I use liquid IV. I think it's one of the best. Um, I'm looking at a bottle, right? I'm looking at a freaking bag right here. I mean, it's not super cheap, but dude, I, I do one a day, every day. I at least pack the. I have that liquid IV pack in my water bottle. Usually, first thing in the morning, I throw it in. If I'm really had a rough day and I'm freaking, 
hike like I might have one in the evening. They're super light to carry. They're not, they're not hard to carry. The next thing I carry, if I'm really feeling down and out, I carry the new powdered Pedialyte. That's more intense. And it's got a lot more flavor. And it's kind of hard to drink some. It's kind of thick almost. Like, um, it's just more intense than the liquid IV, but it's got more in it. So if I'm really down and out, I'll hit the Pedialyte with my water. Those are game changers, guys, when you're hunting. They, they're almost as important to me as my food. And so that brings me to water, okay? So here's a scenario. You tell me if this meet, if this happens to you guys. You're hiking down the trail. You're drinking your water, probably not as much as you should. You got your liter bottle. You got your Camelback, whatever your, whatever your system that you decide to go with. I quit using a Camelback for a couple of reasons. I like the idea of having quick access to the water. But I can tell you why I stopped in a little bit. But you're drinking your water. Well, you hit a creek, and you got half a bottle left. You should kill that bottle and fill it up and drink it and get another one. But you're not going to because your water filtration stuff's down in your pack. you got to take your pack off. you got to dig it out. you got to figure it. You know, you got to do it to work. And you're not going to do it a lot of times. And now you put yourself in a little bit of dehydrated state because of it. So planning out how to filter or, you know, whatever you're using, a SteriPen or a Sawyer, whatever you're using, it's got to be quick access. I mean, it's almost like a separate pouch on your pack that you don't have. Just make it so simple and it's so effective. You're so used to doing it and so effective that you never want to cross the stream without getting some water. You Your hunt will improve exponentially by just doing that now in your areas of low water um you know that's a whole nother issue i carry these things called hydropacks they're like collapsible bottles you guys know they're really lightweight they're like almost flimsy but they're pretty tough do you know what i'm talking about like a they're a collapsible they're thin not you, familiar just, no anyway they're called hydropacks and there's a, several brands but I always have one or two of those in my pack. They don't weigh anything. But when I hit a water, if I feel like we're hurting for water, I can fill those up, not treat them. I don't treat them in that. Just fill them up, throw them in my pack and carry them to camp. Because what happens is if you got a bottle and you've only got 32 ounces and you got to cook a meal that night and you're using some of your 32 ounces, you're shorting yourself on your water. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So having these extra vessels to put water in is important for deer too. So water treatment, easy access. I use a SteriPen a lot. I've switched to that over the recent years. I use Sawyer. Uh, the, so those Sawyer squeeze, their things are fast, they're easy. Um, I quit using the Camelback because I wasn't drinking enough water. I never knew what I had in my pack. I was always worried that I was running out of water, so I wasn't drinking. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yes. Like, I didn't know what my level was all the time. So I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to, I'm going to save it for later, save it for later, save it for later. And I felt like, but when I could look at the bottle and I could see the level, I felt like I drank more. Even though the bottle is a little more cumbersome on your belt, you don't pull it out. You don't want to pull it out as much. I, I, I like the ease of the Camelback type of things. I, I really like it having quick access, but. It's harder to fill up. It's harder to do than other systems you can get where it's, you know, it's a lot easier. But 
you really never know what you got. And I always felt that was a problem for me. So I just, in the last few years, actually, just the last few years, I've switched off of that system and gone to a bottle system. I go with one Nalgene bottle and two Hydro Packs. And most of the time, my Hydro Packs are empty in my pack. They're just filled up like a, like at camp or if I get a water source, I know we're getting close to where we're going to stop for a while. I'll just fill up one so I have some water, some extra water. And uh, the SteriPen is really nice, too, because you just can fill up, treat it, done. I keep it in my outside pocket, never even take my pack off. It just fits in my belt pouch. I have a little belt pocket. It just goes in there. And uh, that's one of the reasons I really like it. It takes 90 seconds. Boom. Now, it doesn't work that great with cloudy water and stuff like that. You know, it's not that great for that. (laughs) But clear mountain water, typical type elk water for the most part, unless you're in New Mexico or Arizona, um, it works really good. So that's a good tip, too. So. Awesome. Yeah, I think we've kind of gone through most of the stuff that I had on my list and, you know, a ton of other stuff that's extremely helpful. Um, you've talked a lot about the course. Um, where can people find the course and, and you know, what? how did that come about, I guess? Um, well, of course, you can get to it if, you, you know, it came about real quick. I know we've been going a while here and I'm sorry. Sometimes I get real long <laughs> and stuff, so. I apologize if that was, you know, too much at times, but um, I, like I said, it's hard to tell. I get excited about elk hunting, but I, I just, I love it. And um, I just, and I now to the point, I love sharing it. And I didn't used to be that way. And in my fifth, now I'm 55. So I feel like it's my time to give a little bit back. I mean, whatever I can give back again, I'm not a giant killer. I mean, I'm just not, I'm, but I'm an elk killer. And um, I hope to kill a few giants before I, retire i'm working on it i've had a, oh i've had my chances and uh just you know whatever and uh but i love the pursuit but anyway i i i became good friends with ryan lampers and the dude's like probably one of the best elk hunter mule deer hunters i know personally definitely in the top five and just you know just really appreciate his friendship and he started this thing um called the western hunting summit which is starting this weekend there's three weekends in a row starting this weekend and three years ago and he invited me with him and i talked one time about a hunt and i started giving him some e-scouting things that i did and you know whatever he's like dude what he's like what are you talking about i'm like yeah google earth you can do cattle allotments you can do fires you can do all kinds of things with google he goes he was just kind of surprised that you could do all the things with google earth that you can I said, yeah, it doesn't come that way, but you can install, you got to set it up. And I said, it's the ultimate platform for East Coast, ultimate. And um, so anyway, he goes, well, you should come to the summit and talk about it. I'm like, okay, sounds good. That'd be fun. So I went to the elk hunting summit, talked to East Scouting, And I just got so many great freaking responses. People were like messaging me about all this stuff. So then I thought I'll do a couple YouTube videos. And so I did, dude, and it's like your podcast. I mean, I did my YouTube videos like we're doing this podcast. They were two hours. And when I got done, I'm like, nobody's watching a two-hour e-scouting freaking YouTube freaking video. Who watches a two-hour YouTube video? (laughs) And I'm like, that's crazy. I got, that's too much information, way too much. And, man, people were messaging me, saying, man, I've watched it three times. I'm like, 
do you not have a life? Like, do you, I mean, what, what do you mean? You watch it three times. And I was like, and so I had all these plans to do YouTube. Well, you guys know YouTube. They don't, not very friendly with, with hunters nowadays. And you also know, it's hard to organize stuff like in a, in a row, like chapters, you just keep putting out a video. And if they watch that one before the next one, there's no method to it really. You just throw it out and it's not in a good chronological order whatever, et cetera. So I, I'm an IT guy by nature. And I said, I'm going to build a course, like an educational course, like a curriculum, like a college course. Because Elk 101, you know, when Corey Jacobson built Elk 101, it was more just about how to hunt elk, which is great, which I took, which I highly recommend that course. But, it, you know, it covers some e-scouting stuff, but it's just not in depth. Um, and it's kind of one, it, you know, it's kind of one-sided. It doesn't really cover a lot of on It doesn't really cover a lot of go on. It doesn't really cover point is it just, you know just what it was but it was an educational platform it was a website that it was protected like you had to sign up and you got access to a website and that's fine it works but it wasn't a course meaning it didn't track your progress keep track of where you're at um so you could start and finish it whenever you started you'd come right back to exactly i wanted that so i researched a bunch of educational platforms and i went with this one called thinkific and so i built in basically a university style course and it's 30 modules it's right at 30 hours no it's 28 modules i'm sorry it's about 30 hours of training so you'll be real sick of me by the time you get done with the course um but i do think you'll get a few tips that you did not know about <laughs> uh especially i'm kind of uh, you know i'm kind of pretty confident about it but especially when it relates to Google Earth and the elk finding features. Um, I just think that there's a lot of things, a lot of tech out there. Because here's what happens, guys. They get Onyx or they get whatever they're using. They learn how to use it, and that's the end of it. How many? Do you guys know how, what the limit of waypoints is in Onyx? How many no. waypoints you can actually have? No idea. Yeah, nobody does. It's 1,500. And after three years, a lot of dudes are hitting it now, and they're like, what's going on? I'm losing all my points. Stuff's jamming up. And I'm like, well, because it's got a 1500 limit. They're like, what? We're... And the only reason I know it is because in the course, I tested it. I, I, I found out, I imported data until it broke. And I tested them all. And just little things like that, it's beneficial. Everybody's like, well, I'm never going to have 1500 waypoints. Well, you might not. But after four or five years of whitetail hunting and elk hunting, you could hit it pretty easily. Right. Now, not in the first year. And that's one of the, you know, that was a flaw in Onyx. I don't think they realized 10 years later that dudes might be at the limit. And I'm not dissing Onyx. I'm just saying that's a, and others have limits too. And um, so anyway, um, all those things are kind of in there and more. And so I built it and um, took me two years to do it. And um, I put a lot of work into it. So the, basically, the the style of it is it's got most of the modules are two parts. The first part is theory, meaning I, we talk about everything, like the way it works and what my theory is on benches. Should they be three quarters of the way up on the slopes? What degree of slope do, is best? Chain benches. What kind of what's a chain bench? What does that mean? What is a latitudinal bench? You know, the elevation on the ridge. Why is that important? We just theorize, okay? We talk about the theory of why elk do, why they like these bench environments. 
And then part two, I go through six, eight, ten sometimes examples where I actually go topographic maps, aerial photo, break it down exactly what we talked about in the theory. And we show in real life, or not in real life, but in examples in Onyx and Base Map and Go Hunt and Gaia and in, in Google Earth Pro, what it looks like and how to and how to analyze it. And uh, so that's really the structure of it. And then it keeps track of your progress, and when you get done, you're done. And the membership lasts for two years, so you get two seasons, not just one. So yeah, that's it. And I'd be glad, you know, most of the podcasts I usually create a a code for um, the podcast to give a discount to the people if they, you know, for having me on and stuff like that. So if you guys want to do that, just tell me what code you want it to be and I'll set it up. Be $20 off is usually what I do for the podcast. And I'm glad to do it if you want to do it. Yeah, Yeah, I think I think guys will really benefit from that. And I've been actually messaging back and forth with a couple of guys on uh, some of the whitetail courses and things. So, um, you know, certainly there's a a need for this uh, across all avenues. And, you know, what you're doing is such, uh, I mean, it really is high level e-scouting. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of different information out there online and that's certainly free, but it, it kind of ends up being, you know, what are the, the little bit next level version of that? And then the organization and the theory behind it is, you know, I think where the real value is, is, is putting it all together in one spot chronologically. Um, well, that's the thing, you guys. You know, I'll be honest with you. In 50-some podcasts I've been on talking e-scouting, I mean, sometimes people are like, what are we going to talk about? I'm like, dude, there's all kinds of stuff talking about. <laughs> you probably have access to everything that's in that course. Not everything. There's a lot of things that are not going to be in there. Like that waypoint limit. I've never said that before. I don't know why it popped in my head. Um, well, I know why, because I just had a problem with it. <laughs> I went on a bear hunt, and I was missing some waypoints. I'm like, why am I missing waypoints? And because way on X works, that you can keep adding waypoints, but it drops off your oldest ones. Right. And you don't, and you don't know it. So you're like, I know I got points for this. And they're like, where are they? And that's how I found it. Anyway, look, another rabbit hole. But <laughs> um, yeah, so I, you know, I, that's just one tip that I've never really mentioned before because it never came up. But if you listen to every 50 podcast, two hour, three hour podcast, like Cody Riches, I mean, it's over two, almost two hours. And this one probably close to two hours and you could get it if you want to piece it all together, but guys for $99 and have it laid out for you, like one step after the other, after the other with demonstrations of everything we just talked about, I think it's worth it. And I wish it would have been, I would have killed for this when I started. I mean, I would have killed for this kind of information. And guys, we love elk hunting. We would, you wouldn't have this podcast if you guys didn't love hunting and the pursuit of hunting. Why would you want to go out there? I don't care if you buy the course, but certainly listen to some podcasts and educate yourself. But be as educated as you possibly can. You're spending thousands of dollars on this elk hunt. And you're spending nothing learning how to elk hunt. Yeah. You're going to learn it on the fly, which nothing wrong with that. But the odds are 5%. If you just like hiking in the woods with your bow... <laughs> That's perfect. I mean, more. I love it. 
That's what I did for a lot of years. I mean, I had some good success, but some of it was just stupid luck. Um, and uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm kind of being not serious, but but what else in life, if you're going to work on your car, if you need to replace the heads on your car, do you just start yanking the heads off? Or do you look at a YouTube, do you watch a YouTube video first? <laughs> I mean, I know that's simple, but is it not true? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And yeah, so, 100%. you know, education is something I think has been missing. Like you look at photography and filmmaking and I don't know what you guys do for work, but we're always continuing learning how to build web. We're, we're continually on the search to expand our knowledge base in a lot of other things in our life. But for some reason, as elk hunters, we don't. We listen to some entertaining podcasts, maybe some that I'm on not so entertaining. Um, but we, you know, we kind of absorb it. We talk to some guys. But we make no investment in any structured education for the to pursue probably one of our most favorite things in life. You know, besides our kids and our family and God and our country. I mean, there's a few things that obviously come first. But elk hunting for me and a lot of other dudes like me is pretty high on the list. Yeah. And that's the whole reason I moved to Montana, guys. The whole reason. That's like one of the, I mean, we did, like, before we went to Idaho, that was one one of the first things I did was I bought the, you know, Elk 101 course. Because and that was the, a good, it was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really good. You know, but it was Dude, a one. Just a few tips. I mean, now you knew how to, the gutless method. You probably thought, because he has a really good section on that. Yeah. And you, you feel so much more comfortable. Like, you feel like you can do it, even though you haven't done it. Right. And whatever i mean he talks about the calling what situational you know situational calling great stuff yep and but before that guys i mean i'm sorry but that was kind of the cart before the horse i'm nothing no diss on Corey, but you can't use the gutless method on an elk that you can't find and kill exactly so before we start gutless method skinning and before we start calling bulls in, we got to put ourselves in a place that tends to hold those animals. Right. And um, that was kind of the cart before the horse, in my, just in my little opinion. But. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's definitely. Well, I know I get a little long-winded, but thanks, guys, for having me on. I was looking forward to this podcast. I haven't done one in a while, so I was kind of excited about talking east scouting a little bit. It's kind of middle of summer. I was kind of thinking about elk hunting now, and it's a good time for it. So one question I always ask our uh, guests, what, what's your bow setup? What bow are you shooting? What's your setup? Well, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd be shooting the new Matthews V3 75-pound 28-inch draw. But right now I'm shooting the Matthews No Cam from a couple years ago, or the Zero Cam, mm-hmm. uh, 75, and 28-inch uh, draw. Um, I like to use uh, – you know, I use cutting broadheads. I like uh, two broadheads. I use QAD, Kudo, and Nap 125. Those are the three I kind of focus on. I like a cutting tip broadhead. I'm not a big fan. I've had so many problems. Not me, but my friends have come and hunt with me with expandable broadheads on elk. I don't want to get in that whole conversation. That's a whole debate. I freaking get it. I mean, you can. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. I just have not seen success. Right. Whitetails. I freaking slayed tons of whitetails with freaking expandables, but. Not elk. I have not seen that much success. So I try to focus on harder hitting, heavier, 
cutting tip or cutting, you know, more cutting tip type rifle. Mm. And uh, so, no, Matthews, I've, I've shot Matthews most of my career. I, guys, bows are like, I, I don't know. It's just you get in a, almost in a rut. I need to expand my horizons a little bit. I just love them. And um, they just shoot so good for me and fit me so well and I can work on it myself. And um, so I am trying to get a V3. So, but I'm left-handed. The problem is I'm left-handed too. Ah. So I have to get the left-hand version and sometimes they're not available. And, uh, and I've been procrastinating. I've been busy. I've been, I'm almost 30 days in bear hunting this year. It's been a ridiculous numbers of days I've been hunting bears. And, um, it's been the funnest bear year I've ever had. And I haven't killed a freaking bear. <laughs> um, and now we've killed a lot of bears, but I personally have not. And I got a little, I got a little picky and now I'm paying the price. <laughs> now my wife's mad because we don't have any bear meat. And, uh, so I spent too much time bear hunting. I should have been buying bows, but <laughs> anyway, that's what I shoot, man. I like Matthews and, um, I'm looking forward to trying that V3. I got several friends that are using it, so. Yeah, it's a nice shoot bow. I shot it. What do you What do you guys use? I we just switched over. I have last year. I shot the PSE, uh, okay, John Dudley's version. Um, okay. This year I switched over to. We kind of all went. Well, Adam's shot Bowtech or Diamond for the last yeah. several years, and so I picked up one of the Revolt X Bowtechs. Okay. And I was actually. Like tonight, I was, I met a couple guys at the club and working on their bows and stuff. And I was, you know, they'd, you'd put it in the press and, you know, twist the yokes up and this and that for the other bows. And I just pulled out the Allen wrench set and I would tweak the top cam over a little bit and end up getting my bullet holes with without even putting the the bow in the press. So I was like, man, this is pretty sweet you know, tuning a yeah, bow, not, not having to put it in a press. And so it's shooting. I got it shooting pretty good. Well, don't take my, I mean, I, people listen to this. Don't take my bow advice guys. I shoot what shoots. Um, I'm kind of one side, you know, I tell you to get educated. I tell you to expand your horizons. And then here I am telling you, I don't try any other bows. <laughs> so don't, you know, I'm kind of one of those guys that, Oh, do what I say. Don't want do what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, uh, so I've just had good, I'm a, oh, it's like the guys that keep going back to the same hunting spots. I'm kind of like that with bows. I'm like afraid to leave something that's been so good to me. Yeah. It, I mean, that's the thing. The, the one thing that we talk about is like, shoot what's feels best to you. But then the, mm -hmm. the other thing too is, you know, like a lot of the, the whitetail guys that like the real true killers that we've talked to. They they shoot the same bow that they've shot for years. Like they yeah. don't go and get a new bow every year. It's like we I know this bow kills, yeah. so I'm not gonna you know. They focus on all the rest of the stuff, so you don't yeah. have to focus on all the you know the new. You don't have to have the newest, greatest, best bow because it might not shoot good for you. you yeah, know? but I did. I I originally was looking at the Matthews, but I was looking at the Atlas because I shoot a 31 inch draw and I like a little bit longer axle to axle. Oh geez. You're like freaking giant. <laughs> so I, I got a pretty big wingspan. I'm six, three. So my little 28 inch five, nine, I was like, I, I well, I, I, I'm going with the, uh, 
30 it's a 31 right yeah the 30 you can get the 27 or 31 is that right well 28 and 30 and a half 30 30 yeah i decided yep. not to go with even even with my 28 i didn't go with the small i'm not going to go with the smaller one i'm going to go with the you know the, the the whatever the bigger one yeah 31 it is so here we go so okay i'm pretty geeked out on e-scouting um, I'm not that geeked out on both. <laughs> so I practice super good. I practice super hard to 75 yards. I'm freaking money. And I just work at that and work at that. And that's kind of the end of it. That's the thing. Like you um, got to have the confidence in your equipment. I know guys that feel like they, they're not shooting if they don't put their bow, bow in a bow press every single day. <laughs> and I'm like, no, my bow goes in the bow press, like in emergency situations only. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm not a good person to ask that. I I uh, I ask for. I've got a lot of good friends that are really really good. So I ask for. I have no problem asking for help, and that's one area that I do ask for um, a lot of help. It's definitely like, like I said, I was looking at the atlas, and we. I actually talked to the to the rep, and uh, she's like, "Yeah," and this is back early in the spring. She's like. We're looking at the earliest you can get that bow is June twenty first. The now, earliest. That was the earliest, and this is like early. You know, this was before the ATA. <laughs> yeah, and it's like what? I mean, we have our tax shoot, the Total Archery Challenge is this this coming week. I'm like, and you know, we like to test our equipment there before we go out west. It's the closest thing right. we have, and it wouldn't even be in time for that. I'm like, yeah. Not gonna do it. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. No, no, no. So, well, I'm gonna send you guys two codes so you guys can check out the course and make your own opinion. And what code do you want to use for the discount for your audience? You can pick. What are, do you have one that you use? Yeah, if you just put uh, Chronicles, that's Chronicles. Okay, yep. Chronicles. It is. So if you're listening, just use that, and they'll save you twenty bucks. And then maybe you can message these two guys and. And give them a couple of days to finish the course, <laughs> and uh, and they can give you their true, raw, un un um, manipulated opinion. Awesome! I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. And where can guys go and check out your oh, stuff, your <laughs> course? Where can they yeah. find it? TreelineAcademy.net is the course, but you can get everything at TreelinePursuits.com. Treeline Pursuits is kind of my, if you want to call it brand, it's kind of everything. My llama rentals, my guide, my llama guiding trips, my fly fishing training. Um, that's the other thing. I love fly fishing too. And um, so all that stuff you can find. And my, you talked about dehydrate. We can't get into that tonight. I'm going to you guys out tonight, but we should do another podcast about dehydrated meals. Um, that's going to be my next course. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm almost as geeked out on that as I am me scouting. So, um, but I have recipes, I have dehydrated equipment that I use, bags I use, all that stuff. TreelinePursuits.com and TreelineAcademy.net. And I hope you follow me on Instagram. I post most of my stuff up there just at Treeline underscore Pursuits. Awesome. Well, awesome, Mark. I really appreciate it. And it's been, I mean, it's just been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, Oh, man. Me thanks too. for I'm taking really the time. I really meeting you guys. <laughs> where are you guys hunting this year real quick? You never told me. Where, I mean, what, where are you guys going out west? You, Colorado, you said? So I'm going back to Colorado. I'm doing a very out of my element, and John gives me crap about it. But um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm ended up going hunting with my dad in 
Colorado uh, to a spike camp uh, outfitter with uh, some okay. family friends and stuff. So uh, it's, it's during rifle season. I'm bringing my bow, uh, but I'm I'm working through the mental side of embracing the hunt for what it is and spending time with family and going out there and going to an area where, you know, theoretically there'll be elk there where I don't have to necessarily do all the work. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I've done a couple of them in my career and, you know, nothing wrong. There's certainly nothing wrong, wrong with that. I mean, I freaking, if you're on limited time, limited resources, limited keep, I mean, and family, you got other limited, man, they certainly make it nice for different levels of fit and, you know, all the things that go into it. it it's, it's a nice, it's a nice way to do it. I got to give him crap for it because it's an yeah. outfitter <laughs> stuff. Hey, but. you know, at least he threw in, did you notice he threw, I'm taking my bow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh, there <laughs> I'm would going be... on a rifle hunt, but I'm taking my bow. Right, and that—that's the only. I'm like, all right, you're taking your bow. I—I I just lost my dad last year, and I told him, I'm like, you know, you're going with your dad, and I would, yeah. I would give anything to go on a hunting trip, you know, with my dad. So I can't yeah. give you too much shit about that, but you better kill one with your bow. <laughs> <laughs> but so I put in for Montana again this year, but I did not draw a tag. Man, you and everybody else, gosh. So what I did do is I, I'm on the alternate list. And then okay. we talked about going to Colorado. But like I said, my buddy lives in Montana. So I'm like, how about, and last year he, my buddy Eddie, you know, like I, dude, I don't know where I'd be without him. Like last year he hunted, but pretty much he could have just left his bow in the truck because he was, it was all about trying to get me an elk. That's awesome. And this guy is a badass. going, I mean, like going up the mountain and stuff. Like I was kind of joking on this a couple times, like hey, <laughs> we should go up there. All right, let's go. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and, uh, so, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to call for him and go, you know, just go on the hunt for him. Which it's it's a hunt for me too because I'll get to learn you know more not more that, knowledge that, you know I I'm glad you said that because you know there's a lot of new hunters out there maybe they just don't feel um, ready um, or whatever but maybe they feel like they're ready like for from a physical and a backpacking and a survivalist and woodsmanship and bushcraft they feel like they can handle that part of it they just don't know if they're ready for the hunting part of it. Dude, go with someone that's hunting. I mean, it's a blast, especially elk hunting. You know, you know, like the calling part, the pursuit. Now, I don't know about rifle hunting as much. Be much fun, just being a sidekick, but still would be still fun. You're classing, you're kind of looking, you know. But man, there's nothing wrong with going out there without a tag. Nothing wrong. Right. So, I'm... and I think a lot of guys would benefit sometimes a lot more if they. For some reason, you don't got a tag or didn't draw a tag or missed every deadline, don't want to go to Colorado, freaking don't stay home, for God's sake. That's right. the worst thing you can do. No, so that's what so, I'm doing. Yeah, get some experience, get up. And you know what? You might be surprised at what you learn and observe when you're not stressing out about trying to fill a tag. Exactly. That's what I was kind of like. Might man, be surprised. It's almost kind of like a relief. I'm like, I can just go out and take it all in and – get to help ed and then i did i did put in for my uh archery antelope which is pretty much a guaranteed tag so for I, montana yeah so i'll 
yeah yeah the 900 the 900 tag yeah yeah, yeah. so i'll hopefully uh be able to pick one of those out on the way there <laughs> but. well good luck guys and um if you guys want to do another podcast sometime we should do one on dehydrated meals for sure absolutely a lot of guys you know campers hike and not just hunters i mean it's a man it's been an eye-opener for me just being able to do my own meals from a cost from a money standpoint from a just a healthier standpoint taste standpoint all of it it's just i i, I wish i would have done it sooner that's my only regret with that is i always thought well i only eat this many i, I don't know but all the other applications I started using it for besides just making meals. And, um, yeah, I really, I really dig that too as well. So, yeah, well, definitely. Well, thank you that. guys. I really appreciate it. So, um, Chronicles is the code. I'll set it up right now. So by the time you guys launch this, it'll be ready to go. And I'll send you guys a, a text or email. I'll send you, well, whatever. I'll send you guys a code for you guys as well. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Good night, guys. Yep.
I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. 